Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you decided to listen with us today. This is episode 152. Uh, recording this Sunday, November 14th, 2021 at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry, here with Zach and Todd. Um, Todd, I, th- I mean, th- this has kind of been a bummer of a weekend for uh, for your football uh, prowess. I mean, we just had, we would just watch the, uh, yeah. the Seahawks get shut out. Um, Jimmy Lake is officially fired at UW. Um, but at the same time, Zach, have you stopped partying over the last 24 hours? Oh, no, it, it's party central here, man, in LFK. The, you know, the lights have not gone off. And we are celebrating local hero Jake Casey, you know, the greatest uh, football player of all time from, you know, uh, like middle of nowhere, Kansas. He's kind of like a mixture of like Jared Lorenzen meets Louis Lastic meets, uh, you know, um, maybe a little bit of Chris Farley. The guy had never caught a pass before. You know, he's like this fourth string tight end walk on. And, uh, you know, it's basically our Boise State, Oklahoma moment. It's the greatest moment in Kansas football history. Uh, all hail uh, this team, the, the, the greatest 2-8 and eight team of all time. What is it, first time in 13 years they won a road Big 12 game? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> And uh, it was just, you know, it was such a, it was, it was so sweet because Texas uh, deserved to lose that game. Um, And it was so strange coming back from the movie I saw yesterday with the score being 35 to 14 at halftime. It was like, yeah, this isn't going to last, but somehow they won. So it's amazing. I, I saw a tweet today that basically just said, this is what happens when Kansas is able to get a good coach. Yeah, and not I, try to make a pro coach work, not get less miles ten year past ten years past his prime. You've got a good up and coming coach. Oh yeah, we that was also Turner Gill. That's true. That was also Turner Gill. We, we love, and, and we Lance Leipold's even also a Nebraska guy, right? Didn't he start in? Yeah, well, like and he got he got like all of his Buffalo players to transfer to Kansas. <laughs> and you know what was also? I mean. Uh, I, I sent this to Terry, but, you know, comparing the sexiest man alive cover, you know, Math, Matthew McConaughey, when they tell you not to worry about your opponent, Paul Rudd, sexiest man alive. I mean, that's just great. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, I love also that um, apparently we get crushed by everybody um, except for the two teams that are douchey enough to leave the Big 12. Like we apparently I, we play them well. It's called karma, bitches. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Uh, there you go. There you I want to make a bowl game. I want to. I want to get go to the Redbox.com bowl. You know, you, I, you, you need to I win more play, than two. I want to play Central Michigan. I think we could handle them. Uh, well, and Todd, we also found out that we're keeping our coach for at least one more year. Yes, one. We are keeping one coach. We're keeping <laughs> one coach. <laughs> the rest of them gotta go, but <laughs> we're keeping one of them. Uh crazy crazy football week and uh yeah my fantasy teams are getting beat i'm i've i'm like one of the i'm in first place in both leagues they're both getting beat this week it's all not good anyways 
that's a that that's the sports update for you guys. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you catch your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing everywhere. Like, just download all the apps that get podcasts and just subscribe to us so we can get more uh, more listeners. That, that, that'd be great. Um, let's see here. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having uh, the last champagne in the city of Houston. I mean, the last <laughs> Oktoberfest in the city of Lawrence. Still celebrating October, celebrating our victory. And uh, yeah, Godspeed, Lance Leipold, MVP of this podcast. There you go. There you go. Dodd. Grape brandy. Still good. Grape, grape brandy. There you go. There you go. So I, 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 got, um, I got my grenade filled this week. So it's like it, 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 I can drink straight from it, which is pretty cool. This is their uh, Ridgewalkers Long Strides on the Beach. Which I thought was somewhat appropriate, considering how one of how the movie we're going to deep dive ends, and uh, but yeah, it's good. It's their hazy, the and it's got like uh, what what is it? It's got um, oh, what what was in there? Blood orange and like mango. Okay, but so, here's here's the real question: How much alcohol is in it? It's it's like six or six point five, something like that, or seven, somewhere in there. Week. Those are rookie numbers. Gotta get those, those numbers up. Yeah, it's it's screw it's not. Hey, screw anybody from Texas. We're not bringing him up on this podcast today. <laughs> no, it's it's not the eleven percent like I had a couple weeks ago. All right, well, let's look at what we've been watching, and we are going to go with Zach. Your first. Okay, so I saw the French Dispatch. I, oh. I have a few things I want to say about it. Todd, you have not seen it, right? So mm. I'll, I'll try to keep it spoiler-free. Uh, I kind of thought it sucked. I mean, I'm not a huge Wes Anderson fan to begin with, but wow, this movie was like Wes Anderson on overdrive. Like, he, I think he watched Ben Foster and Alpha Dog and like kind of harnessed Ben Foster's like excess, maybe did some speed and just made the most uber Wes Anderson movie imaginable. I mean, this movie has like some serious ADD hypertension deficit disorder issues. Like he cannot stay focused on one character for longer than five seconds before, you know, doing some, you know, ridiculous symmetrical shot or some digression that has nothing to do with the story or some, you know, cameo appearance by like Shearsha Ronan, who's in the movie for no reason. Then there's an animated sequence. The movie is like all over the place. I really uh, did not find it uh, interesting or funny at all. Uh, I, I, I would say I, I liked the Leah Sadu character. She was pretty good. Uh, and I liked the anime. I, well, I, I was dissing on the animated sequence. I liked the animated sequence at the end of the movie. I wish the whole movie had been animated. Terry, you gave this movie three stars. I guess you can defend it. But I also want to say that I didn't understand anything that happened in the movie. Did, did you understand? It was the most incomprehensible movie I've seen since Tenet. Oh, the, I, I, there, there really the, wasn't anything well, that happened because I mean, because it's, it's I was episodic. Um, I didn't so... understand any of the story. I, I mean, I kind of understood like the first story a little bit. Tell me the Francis McDormand storyline. I, I don't know what happened. I watched that for 30 <laughs> minutes. I couldn't tell you what happened. It made no sense at all. Something with te- Chess and Timothy Chalamet in, in a bath. It, it was just it was it was a disaster. Two stars. Yeah, I, I kind of gave it three stars out of respect. Um, the 
the um i mean it looked great the production design was amazing the performances were fun and quirky it was like you said it was as west anderson as west anderson can get i gotta admit i slept through like half of it so <laughs> i couldn't tell you and i i went into it a little tired and i realized going into a west anderson movie tired is the worst way to go into a west anderson movie because you have to work so hard to keep up with all the crazy dialogue yeah. that's going on and how, how fast things are moving and how random things are. It's um, like, it's like what Rooney Mara says in uh, the social network. You're like, it's like dating a treadmill. I mean, that's like what watching that movie, it's not fun. It's like, it, it's, all, it's work. It's yeah. like, it, and you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I was disappointed by it and there are a million people in it. There was an interesting moment. I thought the last the last vignette had some some potential, but uh, it was it was like a Cobb Franck. It you know I've come to never expect great things from it, and this time it was no different. That's not yeah. true. I've liked some Wes Anderson movies, but I don't know. I'm not I'm not the world's biggest fan. I'm not a huge fan either. Um, it, and it's definitely one. I feel like his movies have to grow on you. He's like, like the, after you've watched them like three or four times, then you can actually appreciate them for what they are. He's the Jacques Tati of this generation. And like, you know, it, it, it's fun to watch, I guess. But I, to me, it's always kind of like skin deep. And I'm astonished by how many people seem to love this movie. Uh, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I was telling Todd about this. I slept through like half of it. But in watching half of it, I feel like I know exactly what the movie was. So uh, because there is no plot. And and really, when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie, it's more about the vibe than about following a story. So I think it's I, just what people like to say they like Wes Anderson to be pretentious and to sound smart. I'm I'm calling I'm calling him out on that. I guess it's not Wes Anderson's fault, but I like the Royal Tenenbaums <laughs> and Moonrise Kingdom and Darjeeling Limited. The others, yeah. See, I I've seen I, I've only seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. I liked. I've never seen. Um, uh, Royal okay. Tenenbaums. I just watched this year. I I do really like Grand Budapest Hotel. That one is a lot of fun. Um, but it took me a couple times watching it to really understand it. So, and and to really appreciate it. Yeah. So I gave it three, but I three I'm out of respect, to and you disagree. fell asleep. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that says more about you than it says the movie. It's possible. It's possible. All right. Yeah. There. There you go. There's French Dispatch for you. That's why I hadn't talked about it yet, because I was just like, yeah, nah, whatever. All right. Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, so my Matt Dillon movie was the actually the movie that he directed called City of Ghosts from 2003, where he is playing this uh, con man who gets in some trouble with a, like an insurance scam, I think it was. And so he uh, he feels also like he's screwed over by his partner, which is played by uh, James Caan. So he like travels to Cambodia to find him and also to sort of hide at the same time. And he gets wrapped up in a more serious plot. It's kind of a mess. But there's a really eclectic cast. There's like those two and there's like Natasha McElhorn uh, is the love interest. Rose Byrne is in this young uh, young Rose Byrne. Uh, Gerard Depardieu. Stellan Skarsgård is also playing one of the one of his partners and he's insane in this i've never seen him act like that before but it doesn't feel like a movie that i would expect dylan to actually have directed like it's similar to like when you look about like like tom cruise his or tom hanks's first movie was uh that thing you do which is like a music movie that's not what you would expect to do or like thomas Hayden church directed like a stoner movie and nicholas cage directed a movie about a male prostitute like these aren't the movie, kind of movies you'd expect me to direct because this movie it doesn't feel like matt dylan it's it's kind of boring it, i mean um he doesn't really 
I, mean, I don't know. He doesn't really have an eye for directing, at least not this time. I, I He directed a documentary last year. I haven't seen it, but maybe I will at some point. I, I'm thinking he, he w- shouldn't have been the lead is, is probably part of the problem, which is probably why I like Nicolas Cage's movie, because I think if he would have played like the James Franco character at some point, it would have been awful. But um, I don't know. He's good in this, but I think if, he needs some distance because, I mean, there is some some scenes that work in this. It's watchable because of the cast and a cool setting, but it's pretty disappointing. I kept waiting for something to happen. And it never really did because it's not really spaced out well either. And maybe he didn't have a good career. I'm giving it two stars, which might be overrating it a little bit. All right. I've never heard of that movie. When you say he's a con man, like con C-O-N or con James con man? <sighs> he's That's con's deep. man. Yeah. <laughs> he is a, a matchstick man. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. So on to what I watched, my Oscar movie. Uh, goes back 10 years to the last of the foreign films I needed to watch. And it is the submission from Poland, uh, directed by Agnieszka Holland, and it is In Darkness. Todd, I think you've seen this one, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, In Darkness is uh, the true story of a, um, of a sewer inspector in Lvov, Poland, who uh, is paid to hide Jews in his sewer. Uh, during during the Holocaust and the the lead up to all of that, uh, as the ghetto is being uh, is being evacuated, uh, and so it's the story of how he he takes them in, and at first he does it for for the money, and then he does it because it's the right thing to do, and so he continues to do it. Uh, it is it is a compelling movie uh, with uh, with some really good performances. It is way too long. It's like a two and a half hour movie, and it feels like they're just trying to make it more dramatic. And I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that went on, but it didn't need to drag on the way it did. Um, but and at the end, it's it's a great movie, and uh, and I'm giving it three stars. Um, and it, it's a really moving movie. I mean, it's hard it's hard to go wrong when you have subject content like that. So uh, so yeah, three stars for In Darkness. And, uh, yeah. Um, so that gets me to the end of, like I said, that's the last one. So let me like break it down here. I don't know if any of you have seen all of them. So the, the five that year were, um, bullhead footnote in darkness, Monsieur Lazar. And then the winner was a separation. And this is kind of like, there's a separation and a bunch of mediocrity is really what this race was. There's literally a separation between. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So a separation I, I have is a four star movie and the rest are like three to two and a half stars. That's it. So, um, I mean, if I had to pick the next one up, it might be I probably Monsieur Lazar. Yeah, I think Monsieur Lazar. I mean, I had I can't say I've seen all of them, but I gave Monsieur Lazar three and a half stars. I, I, I really enjoyed that movie, even though it was very cute and sentimental, but yeah. it, it had it had a good message and was well made. And then uh, footnote, footnote was quirky and didn't feel like it belonged. But uh, and then you had and in darkness, like those three. Bullhead is just weird. Um, that's probably going to be my last or the fifth place. But yeah, it. I don't know. It was a weird race because yeah, you had one excellent movie, and then four okay to good. 
Okay, so so trivia question. Do you guys know who presented the award for best foreign language film in 2011? No. No. Any guesses? It, it, it was someone who speaks uh, a different language. Penelope Cruz. No, it was Sandra Bullock. Oh. I may have watched this clip before because, you know, my second favorite movie of all time won that year. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's a good speech. I will say one of the one of the coolest parts of In Darkness was actually uh, afterwards. I, I was looking at the special features on the Blu-ray I got from the library and uh, they had a clip of uh, of the director actually interviewing um, one of the girls are, that was hidden in the sewers. Uh, who's still alive. She's like 85, 86 years old, and she's an author now, wrote a book about the experience called like The Girl in the Green Sweater or something like that. Um, and that was really cool to to see to see that uh, that interview. Yeah, and Agnieszka Holland was uh, one of my directors on my power rankings last week. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, she had directed The Secret Garden. And, and she's the one that did like Europa Europa. Europa Europa, right? yep. Yeah. Really right. talented director. All right, so that's what we've been watching. Now it's time to get into our featured reviews. We have a couple movies we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about. One we're gonna talk about all together. One only Zach and I have seen, so we're gonna talk about that one as well. Before we get into our deep dive, which is Todd's Todd's choice this week, uh, which is gonna be a whole lot of fun. But let's get into featured review here, and uh, our first one is. The latest uh, Netflix movie to come out. It is a. Uh, it's getting some Oscar buzz, so there there might be some uh, some nominations in its future. This is passing. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to. What? You ever thought of passing? No. Why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? Uh, and Todd, you're going to be the first one to talk about Passing. So um, tell us what you thought and what it's about. Okay, Passing is directed by uh, mostly actress Rebecca Hall. And it stars Tessa Thompson as Irene, who's a light-skinned black woman in Harlem, married to a doctor played by Andre Holland. And she meets an old acquaintance who's played by Ruth Nega. Her name's Claire, and she's another light-skinned black woman who passes as being white in Chicago in the early part of the 1900s sometime. and But she's married to this rich white guy uh, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And the two uh, women reconnect and become really close. Uh, then they start to become sort of envious of each other's situations. Like Irene's jealous that Claire is this like free spirit and is jealous of her money and ability to like live without discrimination. But Claire is jealous of Irene's ability to sort of be herself if she misses the culture and the music and lifestyle that Irene uh, uh, has in Harlem. And uh, the two become, as they become closer, the dynamics get complicated and like jealousy and re repression sort of come to a boiling point. Tessa Thompson is fantastic in this movie. She's one of the, like, the most exciting actresses working today, in my opinion. Ruth Nega, I think she's going to get nominated for a second Oscar for this. Like, um, it's a really subtle, convincing performance. Like all the actors have that Rebecca Hall flair in this, like like realistic and underplaying their performances. But and she fits most seamlessly into that. Uh, this is, I think, maybe the 120th Bill Camp movie we reviewed on this podcast. Like she's like the male <laughs> Margot Martindale. Uh, 
he he's awesome as always. Uh, Andre Holland's really good here too. He's a really naturalistic performer. And Alexander Skarsgård is basically playing his character in Big Little Lies, which fits. He's a really unlikable, horrible husband. Um, the movie deals with a uh, subject matter that I think is really, uh, like I never really considered before. Like I, I didn't know that, that this kind of happened, and it feels fresh, even though it's based on a book that's like ninety years old. And and in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like Carol with like the harbored secrets, the simplicity of the, how the story's told. It's um, really shot in a really straightforward black and white. I'm not really sure where the $10 million budget went, but there's a lot of shading and the and the gray colors that are really used strategically, and it looks kind of beautiful. Uh, nothing's over-dramatized. Uh, everything's really nuanced. Like, the Rebecca Hall influence on this is, is like, real. Like, I hope she continues directing. And, uh, I mean, I love her as an actress, but I think she's a talented filmmaker. It, it feels classical, mainly, like, the the end scenes. Like, the, it's everything, how everything's played out. It seems like a movie that could have been made when the movie was set. That everything is uh, played through facial expressions instead of outbursts. And I think it's kind of a terrific movie. I hope it gets Oscar attention. I, I think it could get both actresses nominated. It sort of seems like a package deal. Though. When there's like category ambiguity, it sort of is like all or nothing. I think it's great. Three and a half stars. All right. All right. Zach, you're next. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, Todd. Um, I think this is a really fascinating movie. Uh, first of all, the book is based, the, the movie's based on a book by Nella Larson, who was this writer kind of in the in Black Harlem Renaissance in the 20s, kind of same generation as Langston Hughes. I actually read the book in high school. I don't remember too much of it, but it's it's kind of, it's more like a novella. It's a pretty short, pretty easy read, but deals with topics that are pretty radical for the 1920s. Um, I mean, Maybe not, you know, maybe 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 more familiar within the black community, but I think for for white readers, it was maybe a little bit more eye opening. Um, and uh, it was also kind of interesting listening to Rebecca Hall. I, I listened to an interview with her on NPR <coughs> talk about how she actually had a grandfather who also was African American and passed for white. So she has some like personal uh, stakes in this story. And I think she she's a, by by the look of this movie, I think she's a, a really talented, outstanding director. Um, this movie is, uh, I think, kind of beautiful to look at. It's shot like a like a 20s movie. It's shot in four by three um, with, uh, you're right, kind of, uh, you know, unintrusive, unobtrusive camera angles um, and sets that look like they're sets, but they feel kind of lived in. They feel like an older movie. They feel almost like a silent movie. Um, this is a really interesting movie. I got some real, the Carol, the Carol comparison is good. I got some far from heaven vibes from this movie in the sense of looking at this woman who, you know, on the surface, uh, seems like she lives a, a very uh, satisfied, as satisfied as you could get as a black woman in the 19, in 1920s Harlem. I mean, she lives in this kind of upper crust uh, section of Harlem with a successful husband. Um, and I think what's fascinating about the movie is that it's it's really internalized. There's and it's very like uh, uh, th that the characters live in this very kind of repressed world where they can't really say exactly what they're feeling. And so you get this Claire character who kind of comes in and kind of swoops everybody off, and people aren't really sure how to respond to her. And uh, so much of the movie is just in Tessa Thompson's face. I mean, there's a lot of like scenes where you know it's maybe hinted at that maybe there's some sort of sexual uh, attraction between the two characters. Maybe there's also some jealousy with how uh, the uh, Andre Holland character is responding to, to Ruth Nega's presence in the movie. Um, there's some, I think, really great exchanges also between Tessa Thompson and Bill Camp in this movie that uh, talk about uh, how, um, you know, pa passing 
works or doesn't work or why someone would ever pass to begin with and how it's different when black people see it versus when white people oftentimes miss it and, and can't recognize it. The black and white cinematography is really intentional in this movie, I think, to kind of underscore um, those differences. I will say that the movie, it's not, you know, there's there's no sensationalistic aspect to it. It's not really a theatrical movie. It's kind of all withdrawn. And so as a result, it does kind of feel a little slow at times. It's a movie that you really kind of have to pay attention to, to, to understand its nuances. But in a way, I think it's kind of daring. And I think it, it I love when movies uh, address issues in a past time period that also have resonance today. And I think for so much throughout uh, American history, uh, literary history, too, there's been this understanding that, you know, um, we're just a colorblind society. And this movie is very much about the differences um, in color, the differences in racial identity, um, but also how those lines get really blurred. So I agree with you. I give this movie three and a half stars. I think it's an absolutely fascinating movie to watch. One that I would want to watch again, because I think it has a level of depth. Uh, that not a lot of movies really have, and it's not depth necessarily in you know the most uh, you know lengthy dialogue, but depth in terms of who these characters are, how they're processing the relationships in this movie, the events that happen in this movie, and kind of what that what that means for the society that they live in. So, really, really fascinating movie. I hope it gets remembered at Oscar time too. All right. Well, I think I liked it the least of us, but I'm still giving it three stars. Um, uh, the the performances, like you guys said, were were amazing. Um, Zach, you had a great point. I think the most fascinating relationship here is the relationship between Tessa Thompson's character and Bill Camp's character, because he just gives her that opportunity to voice some of what she's thinking um, that nobody else allows her to do. Like it, 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 the Bill Camp character exists for her to be able to have an inner monologue. Almost um, the the thing that that. I, I love the direction of it too. Rebecca Hall has a, an incredible eye for it. Uh, and I love the intentional use of the black and white and it works perfectly. The aspect ratio uh, really makes it feel very confined as well. Um, however, I think her writing needs work. That was my, my biggest issue is I felt the, the script was kind of all over the place at times and just how it was structured. It was, there were these jumps where you have to really pay attention to follow exactly what's going on. Um, it always kind of felt like there was, there was this, these unspoken things that were, that were in the background that it never fully explained. You just kind of had to, had to kind of guess at what they were. I don't know. I, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I, I really kind of got lost in some of what was they were trying to do. And then I, if, from scene to scene, it was like, wait, Oh, we're like three months later now. Okay. All right. I guess I gotta, I gotta pay attention to where we're at in the story. But um, other than the choppy script and, and not fully explaining everything, the performances transcend all of that. The, and the direction is great. So I'm still giving it three stars, but I, I, I struggled a little bit following some of what, what the script was trying to do. Yeah, the, the the book is is like that. The book kind of jumps mm. around too. So I I don't I wouldn't ascribe that to Rebecca Hall. I think she's trying to stay very have a lot of fidelity that makes sense. to the source material. That makes sense. And the, the book is only like a hundred pages long, and it's much more kind of based on almost almost stream of conscious a little bit kind of little episodes, and then that kind of drift. And you're right, there's not a great sa- sense of like time <clears throat> continuity, but. On the other hand, I I like that the movie's a little bit confusing and ambiguous because it's about characters that 
can't really speak their minds and are repressed and oppressed by this society and the kind of taboo that, 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 that they can or can't talk about. Um, that's a fascinating element of the movie. So I don't know. I, I think, I think what you're saying is almost deliberately put in place. And I guess I can understand maybe the, maybe your frustration with it, but I, I kind of liked it. Okay. Well, and, and maybe, maybe you could have, that, that could have been smoothed out. Maybe just give Tessa Thompson's character an inner monologue or give, give a narrator to just kind of connect it all. Oh, it, I, it, I disagree with that. Okay. I, but I, I think that's, that's like a modern, that's a modern way of looking at it. You know, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. like that for me, like I kept on thinking far from heaven in the sense that like the Julia Moore character in that movie is not allowed to speak her mind ever, because if she does, she will get cast away by the, kind of social hierarchy group that she's in it's kind of the same as Tessa thompson character in this movie <laughs> which, and, and 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 it's it what her her reintroduction to the claire character is like a radical kind of reawakening in, in a way but even even then she can't really talk about it i think it's also interesting how if you look at the the andre holland character his development over the course of the movie too because the the script brings in these elements of lynchings that are happening in the south and how he shares that information with with their sons and like her reaction to it's really fascinating i don't know just like being a, a viewer of this movie i actually kind of like the distance sometimes between specifically the tessa thompson character and the audience so i i, I like they didn't have a narrator okay okay I agree, though. Right. I think I think this. I hope this movie gets remembered at the Academy <laughs> Awards, particularly for the performances. But I, I think the script and the direction are also really good too. Yeah, coming into this weekend, I know a lot of people were saying Ruth Nega had a really good shot. And coming out of this weekend, it sounds like more people are championing uh, Tessa Thompson's performance than anything. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes out of it when uh, when we get to some of the awards announcements. All right. Well, thrice approved on passing. Uh, We're it's passing been a while. the torch. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been thrice approved on something, but it's good. It's good. All right. Now, moving on to our second featured review. And uh, like I said, Todd's sitting this one out, but Zach and I are going to talk about what most people would consider is the best picture front runner right now that was uh, released limited in theaters this weekend. And that is Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. We're looking to cleanse the community away, but you wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. Touch my family and I'll kill you. Are we going to have to leave Belfast? We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. So, Zach, you're going, you're getting the first, first crack at Belfast. Tell us what it's about and what you thought. Okay, so uh, Belfast is Kenneth Branagh's semi-autobiographical portrait <clears throat> of a nine-year-old boy named Buddy who lives in Belfast in 1969, which is at sort of the height of the troubles between Catholics and Protestants in this community in Northern Ireland. As the movie opens, we see this conflict kind of reach a boiling point on the streets with uh, the Protestants really kind of going after the Catholics in the neighborhood, blowing up some cars. Um, Buddy lives in a Protestant house, and his father is played by Jamie Dornan, a.k.a. Christian Grey, uh, which uh, my wife was definitely familiar with when, as we were watching the movie. And Katrina, uh, uh, Katriana Balfi is the mother. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that pronunciation. And he also has an older brother, too. 
the closest kind of cinematic comparison that I thought of watching this movie was Hope and Glory, the John Borman film from the 80s, which is also about a kid's viewpoint uh, of war and violence. Um, the troubles, though, kind of are the backdrop to this movie. It's more about kind of this kid's experiences day to day growing up. He also lives with his grandparents in this kind of shack. The father character kind of drifts in and out because he has a job uh, outside of Belfast. And there's always this, you know, undercurrent in the movie. Should they leave Belfast? Well, the father, you know, it's hard to find work there. It's also violent, but they love Belfast. There's a real sense of nostalgia and uh, loyalty to the community. Um, you know, we see kind of typical day-to-day episodes. We see some uh, first crushes. We see some incidents of juvenile delinquency. We see uh, the gangs in the neighborhood try to uh, threaten or intimidate uh, this family. And we see young Buddy discover the joys of cinema-like movies like uh, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and High Noon. Um, it's a little unambiguous because Kenneth Branagh shoots this movie in black and white, but there are times when selective color is used, like when they're going to the movie theater. Hey, buddy loves movies. This represents an escape for him. Um, this movie is kind of, you know, going into this movie, I'd heard this is kind of like Kenneth Branagh's Roma. Uh, that's not really an accurate comparison because uh, Roma is a much more kind of artistically, you know, avant-garde, stylistic art house type movie. This movie, I think is, it plays a lot more mainstream. It has a lot of, uh, you know, catchy songs on the soundtrack, a lot of Van Morrison music. I was kind of Van Morrison out by the end of it. Um, I got to say, I was fairly disappointed by this movie. And I think it's because uh, this movie was basically a Hallmark card wrapped up in a nice kind of middle brow, Oscar appealing black and white filter with a story that I think if it had been released in April or May would have been dismissed as hokey and sentimental. I mean, the stuff with the his first crush and the grandpa, it's just, that's, oh, my goodness. I mean, that is just really, really touchy-feely, sentimental, saturine crap. I wish this movie had elevated itself. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I'm just a cynical film, film goer. Maybe it's because I've seen a lot of better movies about the troubles, like In the Name of the Father or Bloody Sunday or Hunger. I feel like the, 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 the this movie had a real opportunity to show... Uh, the real impact that this uh, basically uh, horrific, uh, warring um, incidents in the streets had on the lives of these people. But instead, this is fundamentally a movie about a young boy having fun experiences with the troubles as an occasional backdrop. It feels like a plot device. It feels like a plot contrivance more than anything else. Uh, the movie also kind of doesn't feel weighty enough. It kind of moves from time to time, and or it moves from place to place, and there's not a lot of, like, uh, continuity to between it. There's not a lot of payoff for the things that it introduces. It almost felt like a trailer watching it. It didn't feel like the movie had a lot of depth. And so um, as a result, I, I reluctantly have to give it two and a half stars. I think it's beautiful to watch. I'm sure there is a lot of heartfelt, um, you know, real uh, sense of place and, and, and time. But uh, gosh, give me something better than a Hallmark card, okay? This and the kid, he's so cute, you know. He's got those big eyes and the buck teeth, and I feel like he should be doing a Bisquick commercial, not an Oscar movie. So, uh, a, a disappointed uh, disappointment. All right, um, for for all the reasons Zach hated it, are the reasons why I liked it. Um, <laughs> I'm Who giving could have seen that coming. Yeah, three and a half stars. Uh, it, it is it is sentimental, which I love. Uh, I, I love the, 
this idea of you have this innocent main character and you're exploring these real life things that are going on, but through his eyes. And I mean, like, like it, like you said, this is semi-autobiographical about Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh lived through this and this is his experience. And, and I mean, yeah, you could have told a more, a more compelling story and really gone into in depth of what this conflict was about, but that's not the point. The point is to tell the story of this family uh, that's going through it through the eyes of this kid. And, and the kid isn't going to be focused on the conflict all the time. He's focused on getting to sit next to his crush in class. And he's, he's focused on, he's focused on all the other stuff. Uh, He's not focused on, on this all the time until it is thrown in his face, which it's thrown in his face quite a bit. Um, I I thought the, the parents, Katrina Balf and Jamie Dornan are amazing. Um, Syrian Hines is, is a scene stealer in this, um, even when most of his scenes are also with Judy Dench, uh, and uh, who's fine, but she's just kind of there. Uh, Katrina Balfe is definitely the one that has the the Oscar moments, and she's one of the front runners for supporting actress right now. Um, Jamie Jamie Dornan uh, is great. I don't know if he gets nominated for this, but I know there's some talk that he might be on the fringes of a nomination for this. Um, and part of his problem is what we were talking about last week with Kristen Stewart and in Spencer is just breaking those stereotypes that have, that are placed on him since he was in the, the 50 shades movies. Um, but a combination of this and then another completely out of the box, uh, performance he had earlier in the year with, uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I think he's definitely doing a lot to break out of that, that mold. Um, yeah, three and a half stars. I, I wouldn't say it, it's like all time, like amazing, brilliant work. It's like, I do agree also that it's getting, co- it's got the comparison to Roma because it's a semi autobiographical black and white film about the filmmaker's childhood, but it's really nothing like it. Um, Roma, I felt was a masterpiece. This is a step short of that, but I'm still giving it three and a half stars. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I have two biases that are working against this movie. One is that I've seen so many movies that handle this material so much better. For example, I was thinking about the Terrence Davies movie, The Long Day Closes, which is also about a young boy named Buddy who grows up in the UK. I believe that movie is more set in the 50s, and he also loves movies. That movie, which was made about 30 years ago, is so much more daring, so much more. And obviously, you know, Terrence Davies is a very different director, a lot more, you know, inclined to make more artsy type movies. But, you know, I was even thinking about, like, uh, you know, um, even the Small Axe series last year, which, again, they're completely different. I realize that. But Small Axe, had a sense of community that this movie just doesn't have. This movie has cute characters that pop in from time to time like a sitcom. Small acts, particularly in the first two episodes, really highlighted the world of the people in the movie. And yes, they sometimes drifted out, but it was it was more organic. It was never as a plot device, right? In this movie, there's like a character who, you know, who kind of taunts the boy and makes him do things like steal stuff. And it there's never there's no payoff for it. It never never amounts to anything. We don't even really know who that character is. 
And uh, I don't know, like the scene toward the end that involves singing. Oh, please. I can't deal with singing anymore. I'm done with singing in movies. Let's just never sing again. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. So I don't know. Oh, the other thing that's my bias against this movie is I saw it with a bunch of old people. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to be ageist, but uh, I, you know, the old people really loved this movie. They gave it a, an applause. They were talking about, is that high noon? They were identifying all the movies in it. It made me, I was by far the youngest person at this movie theater. And uh, yeah, that, that didn't help my appreciation of the movie. I love old people. Shout out to old people. But uh, you, you need to shut up at the movie theater. You know, there's a scene in this movie where Judy Dench is watching a movie and she yes. shut up. And I was wondering, can't these old people, are they that, are they that dense to not recognize that? But anyway, uh, those biases aside, I still think regardless, I would still give this movie the star rating I did. Didn't you say your wife was there with you? So you would yes. be by far the youngest one. We, we both were by far okay. the youngest people in there. And she liked it more than I did. So, so, uh, so... Zach I'm says grumpy. he can't. He can't like any this is movie why, with heart or any yeah, movie no other singing. people like. No singing, and, no hugging. Uh, <laughs> this is why Todd needs to review it because Todd, uh, I could see going either way. You know, he's like Maverick. Is he? You know, is he gay? Is he straight? I don't know. Which way is Todd going on the spectrum? Wow. Is he going to side with the sentimental, hacky, tacky crap? Or is he going to be a cynic like a uh, true film goer? I don't know. So we'll, we'll find out in next week's episode or, you know, whenever, a, a whenever he gets to it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be, we'll be waiting for that with great anticipation. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't even remember what that quotes from star Wars is. Oh, it is star Wars. That's right. Episode okay. one. Episode one. Yep. Palpatine talking to Anakin. Now, now I got it. Okay. About Anakin. About Anakin, yeah. Okay, so two and a half from Zach, three and a half from me, which means Todd's gonna give it three probably. Um, we'll we'll uh, we'll see when he when he gets a chance to watch it. But Belfast is kind of hard to find uh, right now, but it is like I said, it is kind of the 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 uh, front runner, the default front runner right now. It won the audience award at TIFF, which has been a big predictor of, of the, uh, of best picture right now. So it's a front runner and we'll see where it goes from there. All right. That's that. Now it's time to go back to the two thousands, mid two thousands and talk about one of Todd's all time favorite movies. Not, not best movies. I don't think it made his top a hundred, but it's like, it's like, I would, would it be safe to say it's like one of your, your favorites, Todd? Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's something I, it's, when it's on, you can't not watch it. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like Swingers was when we talked about that last week. It, it, it's yeah. just one of those just movies you love to watch. And it was a first time watch for me. This is Alpha Dog. Kid's older brother owes money and Johnny's holding him like a marker or something until he gets paid. So you're like Ransom or something. That's hot. It's okay. It's like another story to tell my grandkids. Stolen boy. Marco, hello. Marco, hello. And uh, we're going to get into talking about this and do our deep dive of it. But first, we have some trivia. So we got to get into this. Um, and let's see here. Well, Todd's the expert. So we're going to start with Zach. I and because uh, I did the last last time. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Todd's unplugging. Todd's disappearing. There you go. Todd's gone. All right. Zach, 
All right, let's see here. Didn't you want to wait and see what Todd thought of Belfast? I mean, we knew what we were going to think of it. There, there was no surprise there. The surprise is what Todd was going to think of it. Yes, but we the the idea is we got our thoughts out while they're still fresh in our head. That's true. And then and then Todd can kind of react to our thoughts when he eventually reviews it. That's true. I forgot to do the one word that I can say in an Irish accent, which is "gran." <laughs> now that's staying in the podcast. Okay. <laughs> gran. We have six questions here. Were six. That's weak yeah, sauce. It, it is pretty weak. There, there, there was a lot in this movie. There, there, there is a lot. Um, all right. So let, yeah, they're they're ranging all over the place. This first one is worth up to nine points, though. Oh, so. okay. You you like to compress the questions yeah, yeah. in the? Okay, okay. I see what you're saying. They're like a zip file. Well, there, there's there's you a couple that are them. worth. They're the first two are worth multiple points. The rest are just worth one. Okay. Honestly, I was I was just I was just follow, trying to follow the movie and and was forgetting to write down stuff anyways question number one alpha dog was released oh, on january 12th 2007 Shit. and had the fourth highest box office that day for up to nine points can you name the other f- films that were in the top 10 in the box office on january 12th 2007 yeah see i always do this i you, whenever I, I i remember to look up the movie the box office and then you don't ask the question when i don't look it up you always ask the question <laughs> it's like clockwork okay what is this january 2007 january 12th 2007, 2007. okay so we're talking like fourth. uh 2006 oscar movies right like december releases probably mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll I'll let you get I'll I'll give you kind of a three strikes you're out. So okay, how about Dream Girls? Dream Girls was on the list. Yes. All right, sweet. Uh, it was it was one two three it was sixth. Okay, what about uh, De- the Departed? The Departed, no, that's strike one. Okay, uh, Cars two. Strike two. Uh, Cars two. That was gonna Cars. be a summer. That was, it had to be a summer release. Okay. Um. 2006. I really got to think about this for a second. What was a big 2006 kind of Christmas movie? I would want to say Babel, but I don't think that was a huge box office movie. Um, gosh. Uh, uh, let's go with it. Why not? Babel. Babel. Nope. Yeah, not on the so, list. How about so, Bobby? So you got uh, number 10 was Arthur and the Invisibles. Oh, yeah. because Number nine, that. The Good Shepherd. Number oh. eight, Children of Men. Uh, oh. Number seven, Freedom Riders. Number six, Dreamgirls. Number uh, five, Primeval. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Number four is Alpha Dog. Number three, Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, uh, number two, that made a night, shit ton of money. Number two, Night at the Museum. Oh, there we go. And number one, Stomp the Yard. Wow, that's impressive. That yeah. was a tough list. Those mm-hmm. January movies, man. Yep. Brutal. All right. I'd be uh, impressed if Todd got those. Number two. Uh, Todd claimed this cast was the future of Hollywood. How many Oscar nominations have been earned by the cast of Alpha Dog? And extra points if you can name the nomination. Okay, well, we got Amanda Seyfried for, for Mank. That is correct. Um, ben Foster hasn't been nominated, has he? I don't think so. Um, who else is in the cast? Well, are we talking... Oh, Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone is correct. Um, I don't think Bruce Willis has been nominated for an Oscar, has he? 
Sixth Sense? It, it, is that is that your guess? I'm going to say yes. He was nominated for The Sixth Sense. Uh, that is incorrect. Dang it. All right. I'm However, gonna... there is a third. There are three nominees. There are three nominees from the cast. You've got Sharon Stone, Amanda here? Seyfried. Who am I missing? Uh, and Justin Timberlake for the Trolls song. Oh, well, okay. I thought you meant acting nominations. Well, okay. I didn't say. I just said nom- right, Oscar nominations. Right, yeah. So, yeah. The, the future of Hollywood. Only one acting nomination has come from the young part of the cast. Is this a low-key, like, thrown shade at Todd for saying yes. that? Okay. Yes, it is. All right, I got yeah. it. Okay, yeah. I, picked it, I picked it up. It, yeah, yeah. One one from before the movie <laughs> before was the released. Movie, yeah, played by one, one of the adults. One that happened last year and one for writing a song. Got it. That, that, that's what the future of Hollywood brings us. Okay, next question. All right, now we're getting into actual questions about the movie. Thank God. Um, uh, which I think actually might be kind of tough, but we'll see. Uh, what does Bruce Willis call Emil Hirsch when we first see them together at the baseball field? I have no idea. I don't know why this, Ungrateful? this stood out to me. He called him Tarzan. Okay. I don't know why, but he did. Um, I'll be interested to see if Ty gets that one. Uh, what did Ben Foster yell at, as he was getting kicked out of his boss's office? Uh like when he was asked to do the drug test and he flipped out and he threw him out of the office. I mean, you're talking about every Ben Foster scene in this movie, but yeah, it's okay. true. It's true. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. Hi, y'all. I will, I will take you down to hell with me. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. That might it be a, a good, good quote of the day candidate. It, it, yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Um, what is Sean Hattesey's response when asked what he thinks about how to take care of the problem with the kid? When asked how to deal with the problem, yeah, with the jo- kid? Johnny asked him. Asked him, "Well, what do you think? What What do you think? What What should we do?" This is like right before uh, the birthday party when he drives off to go take care of things. I, I I have no idea. Put him on a bus. He says, "No more music videos." Oh, I do remember that line. Yeah, I have a lot of things to say about <laughs> music videos in this movie. By the way, okay. Anyways. Yeah, the, these questions are way too obscure. That's okay. Last one. How many witnesses were there of the crime? 38. Good. <laughs> I was prepared for that one. <laughs> That's kind of an obvious Todd one. Todd doesn't but... do numbers, so he probably won't get that one. But... It's possible. It's possible. Okay. That was a pathetic okay. showing. It, 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 was, it was a pathetic quiz. Um, all right, hold on. We got to get it. There we go. Now we're back in order. All right, Todd. There are, let's see. There are a lot of points possible. I don't remember how many. Uh, Zach got four. There are six questions. Zach got four points, but there are several multiple point questions. So Okay. All right. The first question is worth up to nine points. Alpha Dog was released January 12th, 2007, and had the fourth highest box office that day. What else was in the top ten that day? You can and and so it's worth up to nine points, and you can have it, it'll be a three strikes you're out thing. Wow. Okay. Zach actually got one of them. <laughs> one. <laughs> January twelfth, two thousand seven. If I say one that's not on there, is it over? Three strikes you're out. Oh, three strikes. Okay, that's what you're, okay. Um. 
Then I think there's like a Hillary Swank movie that was released January. Freedom Fighters. Freedom Riders. Freedom Riders. There, okay, you got yes. Wow. That is correct. That was uh let's see here, ten, nine, eight, seventh in the box office that day. I thought that was with Hillary Swank. He I did that. that's what he said. Oh. Okay. I heard Hillary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> thinking lizzie mcguire movie i thought i thought that was a little earlier but okay okay so i'm gonna say man that is a tough question i'm gonna say letters from iwo jima strike one that is a good guess better than any of my guesses except the one you got right (laughs) that is true uh this is brutal i mean it's it is it is a good combination of like january crap and like oscar fodder wouldn't you say zach uh sure (laughs) and and like leftover holiday yeah i was i was trying to think of that but I don't know. <laughs> are, you, are you just calling it good? But I'm sure. I don't know everything okay. else. I don't know. Right. I can't He's think of He's giving up his last few guesses. Okay. All right. So number 10 was Arthur and the Invisibles. Number nine, The Good Shepherd. Hmm. Uh, number eight, Children of Men. Number seven, Freedom Riders. Number six is the one that Zach got, Dream Girls. <clears throat> number five, Primeval. Number four, Alpha Dog. Number three, The Pursuit of Happiness. Number two, Night at the Museum. And number one, Stomp the Yard. Yeah, any of those movies could have been released at any time. Or like the 2007 ones, I'm like, yeah, those could have been 2005 to 2009. I don't know what year it was. <laughs> Real winners on that list. Stomp the Yard. Freedom Riders, though. Classic. Good call on that. Good I remember J- January, yeah, January 2007, I remember <laughs> All right. Next question. Todd, you claim that this cast was the future of Hollywood. How many Oscar nominations have been earned by the cast of Alpha Dog? Extra points for naming the nominations. If any. (laughs) Um, So we have... Wait, so you want me to go through them or say a, a random number? Is that... You can you can go 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 ahead and go through them. That's how Zach approached it. And if you get uh, let's say if you get all of them, and uh, then I, you'll get an extra point. Okay, so we have Amanda Seyfried was nominated for main Seyfried. 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 Seyfried or Seyfried. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, yes. Pronounced a million different ways. Correct. Um, Nominated for Mink. Sharon Stone was nominated for Casino. That's correct. Justin Timberlake was nominated for the Trolls movie. Wow. That is also correct. Oh. Harry Dean Stanton was nominated for. Paris, Texas, or am I crazy? You're crazy. That was the other one. Yeah, those two. Those two guys remind me of each other. He he's never been nominated. I I I'm pretty sure he had never been nominated. Let me double check. Nope, he had never been nominated. 
Uh, so that that is wrong. You would have gotten an extra point if you had just stopped because there are only three. Oh. Okay. Yep. So yeah, there were three what? nominations, and one of them was for writing a song, and one of them was from uh, what ten years before this movie was made. So, future of Hollywood. Anyways, I still I stand by that. I, I it's it's still it still is a good uh, a good. Uh, a good call, but anyways. Well, yeah, I, I have I have those uh, notes that I made written down here. So, oh yeah, because you said that this person's the next, this person, all that. So we'll get to that, yeah. I'm sure. All right, last four questions are actually about the movie. Um, <laughs> I'll be interested to see if you can get any of these. Next question: uh, What does Bruce Willis call Emil Hirsch when we first see them together at the baseball field? Like, what name does he refer to him as? Junior. Tarzan. Tarzan. I, I okay. don't know why it stood out to me, but it did. Uh, what did Ben Foster yell as he was getting kicked out of his boss's office? <laughs> he mails a lot of things. That, that's what Zach said, too. Zach said, you mean every Ben Foster scene in this entire movie? <laughs> I don't know. He yells... I don't know. I'm going to destroy you or something. I can't remember. What... I will take you down to hell with me. Oh uh, yeah, they, and that. he said it like five times in a row, which is why I thought I would, I would highlight that. <laughs> okay. Um, next question: What is Sean Hattesey's response when asked what he thinks about how to take care of the problem with the kid? This is like, um, but right, right as they're about to go into the birthday party when he drives off to go take care of it. So when Emil Hirsch asks him, "What do you think?" He's, what does he say? I, I, I don't. I don't remember it being something that stood out. So I don't know. No more music videos. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Last question. How many witnesses were there of the crime? Like, I don't know, like 50 or something? 38. 38. Zach was ready with that answer. Yeah. And it was a numbers question, so. All right. It was going to well, stump you. With a score of four to four, I, I might give I might give Todd the the slight edge because he did come up with all of the uh, the nominations and, and free, freedom, freedom, Ri freedom writers. Freedom writers was impressive. That was <laughs> that's a much much more impressive grab than Dreamgirls. Um, so uh, anyways, okay. there we go. I didn't come up with much because it was my first time watch and I was trying to trying to sort out the chaos that was in full you know developing in front of me. Todd, this was your pick. Tell us about Alpha Dog and your experience with it. Okay, I don't remember a lot of the first time I watched it, but I've always I've always liked this movie, and the more I watch it, the more I love it. It's it's my kind of movie, but it's a uh, it's about this guy who owes this other guy money, and that guy decides he's going to kidnap the other guy's kid brother and hold him for ransom, and thinks it's all fine, and realizes that it was like really serious what he's doing and everything just escalates because these are like late teenagers early 20s kids who are in way over their heads and it gets uh, really messy it is based on a true story and it's terrifying um from i i think i, I don't know the, the movie to me is something that it, it portrays it starts out with like the, this movie about these guys that are just really bad and annoying and then becomes kind of a party movie and it uh, dismisses all like consequences from what you're thinking about 
and then becomes like personal and intimate and it's a harrowing movie to watch especially in the end like you know these characters you know their intentions what makes them tick and you feel for them even though they're all terrible people and something about it it just feels genuine it's like it's hard to watch and electrifying to watch at the same time and these are all todd certified actors like <laughs> i mean i i they all became big stars after this i i love it and i love movies about true crime this is somewhat hollywoodized but it's also shot originally or it's like kind of like puts documentary sort of type footage in it like mockumentaries so to make you feel like you're watching something that really happened it's something that oliver stone would do like at the end of the movie but it does it at the beginning saying like hey this uh like like this is real this is about parenting you know and it, it deals with subjects that are difficult to talk about and it i think it's really unflinching and sincere i i love the movie and i love movies that where the end credits are <laughs> like bring revelations like the the sentences of the crew always ruined me like that's the same thing happened with like this movie's little brother bully and it happens in monster like the, i i love that movie i think it's a fantastic movie and it only gets better with age all right all right well i'll talk about it next because like i said this was a first time watch for me and i, I started this movie and in the first like 10 15 minutes i'm I'm asking myself, what the hell is Todd getting me into here? Because, I mean, because you're right. It, the movie does have phases. And I like how you kind of spelled that out. Um, the first act of this movie, uh, I would disagree greatly with you in that it does not age well at all. And it's really kind of horrible and awful and bad. Um, the the performances are all over the place. That None of it feels authentic or genuine in any way um and i'm like that this is uh i'm i i'm really sad i'm gonna have to go and tell todd that one of his favorite movies is a pile of crap then ben foster and anton yelchin show up and they they are the movie like once they show up and ben foster does what ben foster does and he he brings the energy he steals every scene he he it, it's insane that he is not on that list of Oscar nominees yet because he needs to be. And uh, and so you have his energy um, coming out and bringing something new out of everyone else in the cast. And then Anton Yelchin, who, again, is in a very, very different way, does the same thing Ben Foster does in stealing the energy, stealing the scenes and and just being uh, the heart of the story. And it brings something else out of everyone. And, and then to, to see how it all plays out, it, it makes you care about it. Um, so I'm giving it three stars, but man, I was, I was really, I was really worried there for a, for a little while. And then, and then as it settled in, I was like, okay, okay. I see what, I see where, where, where this is and, and where you the don't think it's believable here. when they're just like hanging out. Like these are all like no kids in a, in like no. a, all in like, la drug culture you don't think that's realistic no i no it was i i just it's not easy to watch but i, I it's mean it's not I easy that, to that's watch why this is about right, parenting i no. <laughs> it, it just was no okay. no Go all parenting uh so i don't remember the first time i saw this movie i don't think i saw it in the theater i think i watched it on dvd um liked it uh i don't i didn't recognize that it was all young hollywood but uh, okay uh 
And uh, I did recognize that this was a Nick Cassavetes movie. I really like Nick Cassavetes as a director. I think John Key was crap, but I really like The Notebook and My Sister's Keeper. And he has a style very different than his father, John Cassavetes. Um, I don't know really what you're talking about, Terry. I thought the opening scenes of this movie were really believable. I think the thing that you got to kind of realize, especially 15 years after, it's watching this movie in 2021. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is totally like, uh, you know, uh, you can't say any of those things anymore. Not that you really could say them back then. Um, what you need to, I guess, realize is that the movie doesn't endorse the characters. Like, it's kind of observing them in this kind of removed anthropological way. I think it's it's tempting to say that this movie is indulging in them and it makes you want to like them. But I think pretty early on, you get a sense of how stupid and how vapid these characters are. That's what makes it a little different from a Larry David movie, or not Larry David, Larry, uh, Larry Clark movie, where it's like he just kind of wants to hang out with them, maybe for, you know, questionable reasons. But it's like, you know, that movie, it's like, okay, we actually like the Leo Fitzpatrick character. We like Rosario Dawson. No, no, this movie, they're all they're all horrible human beings with the exception of Anton Yelkin. And they do horrible things and they're all so stupid. I mean, literally, this is this has to be like this movie has some comic moments in it. But like there are so many things that just go awry because of the character's total lack of intelligence or thoughtful thinking or thinking through anything. Like if you think about how this movie ends, like there are so many times when, you know, all that needed to happen was a phone call. All that needed to happen was to actually go to the police. There are so many times when, you know, they tell Anton Yelkin, get on the bus, bro. Hey, I'll, I'll take you for a ride. Let, let's, let's not do this, you know? But uh, it's through the, their, the character's own indulgence and stupidity and hubris that this, uh, this you know, essentially lengthy party turns into a huge tragedy. Uh, I think it's fascinating to watch. I think it's, it, it's inevitable. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it's a little long at parts. I think there are times when uh, the characters are a little bit over the top. I agree, though. The greatness that is Ben Foster he uh you know when he enters this movie there there is an aura to him that is uh inexplicable and uh he is just awesome i mean the we'll talk about the karate scene we'll talk about you know <laughs> shitting on the rug i have a lot of theories about that scene but uh literally i the second coming of nicholas cage i mean can we just recast nicholas cage already like it's over it's over this is the most recast nicholas cage role of all time uh, and it's a fun movie, and I respect Todd for liking it as much as he does. I, I think it's a pretty awesome movie, too. All right. All right, well, I mean, so what? what's your star rating for this, Zach? I give it three stars. Uh, I think it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a solid movie. It, okay. That, it's not perfect, but a solid solid rewatch. Liked watching again. Hadn't, hadn't seen those characters in a long time. I didn't, I didn't necessarily dream about them or miss them in my sleep. But uh, it was it was nice seeing them again. Okay, all it's right. It's a good hangout movie, like Rio Bravo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get into because you did mention something in there that's going to be our the topic of our Mount Rushmore around this uh, this uh, this deep dive here, and that is that this movie is directed by. Uh, Nick Cassavetes, the son of John Cassavetes. And so our our Mount Rushmore here is second generation directors. And um, who are the best directors that are kids of directors? Right? Did I describe that right, Todd? Right. Okay. All right. So um, 
this was this was a a fascinating exercise to try and come up with names for this. Do we have someone we want to say is a is our our fourth non-negotiable right now, or do we just want to play this out and see how it goes? Well, I mean, I think we all would. There's one that we would all agree on. There's only two I think that have been nominated for Oscars, and I think we all would agree on Sofia Coppola, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. I, I can I can go with that. So Sofia Coppola is the one we all agree on. Um, I'm gonna go first because I only had one other name written down, and so I don't want anybody else to take mine. Mm. And uh, and that's Rob Reiner. Um, son of right. Paul Reiner. Damn it. <laughs> you didn't pick the director i thought you were gonna pick terry so uh, yeah no, i'm going with rob reiner because he he's awesome and uh and yeah carl reiner was a made a lot of movies and uh acted and directed and um i mean you there's a reason why we've done deep dives and talked a lot about especially mid 90s rob reiner when he was in his prime that's because he was awesome so um and is still making stuff just not as not as high quality as like a few good men and stuff like that. So that's my pick, Rob Reiner. All right, uh, Zach. Well, now we're throwing out. I I I don't know. I mean, this was a weird list. There's only like aren't there only like basically five or six people whose parents have been filmmakers like of, of note. Um, I have a I have a ceremonial pick that doesn't really count. But Noah Baumbach's father was not a filmmaker, but he was a film critic. Does that <laughs> does that count? And Jeff Daniels in The Squid and the Whale is based on Noah Baumbach's father. So I feel like that yeah, is but like... But you don't even like Noah Baumbach. I, no, I, I, I've grown to love Noah Baumbach after Marriage Story. I, I think he's a, a, a great filmmaker. So I, I, I can't put him on the list, but... He's my he's even my, even my though character. even though in Marriage Story Adam Driver sings, but uh, we'll ignore that part. Okay, that was the last movie that we can allow. <laughs> From Marriage Story is it? Nothing, nothing past that. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go with Melvin Van Peebles uh, because I really love Badass, and I think it's inexplicable that Terry hasn't seen Badass. It's it's the best movie. I'm sorry, Mario Van Peebles. Melvin Van Peebles was his father, of course. Mario Van Peebles, uh, the, the son of the late, great Melvin Van Peebles, recently passed away. Criterion has a new box set with Melvin Van Peebles' best films, like Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and a few others. But Mario Van Peebles made Badass, which is, I think, an awesome movie. Um, he also made uh, New Jack City, which is great. Uh, and um, let's see, I'm trying to see if there's any other movies. I, I guess not a whole lot. I don't know. Those those two are really good movies, though. And uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot else to go on on this list, so I'm going with, with Mario Van Peebles. That, that, that Badass is a great movie. It was, it was a top uh, five movie the year it came out. Top ten. All right. For me. Todd. Well, I mean, I guess I'll say Nick Cassavetes because I I love I, I love yeah, most of his fit. movies. Like she's so lovely with Champagne. That's a great movie on Hook the Stars, and obviously he's X of the Notebook. My sister's keeper. He's a great director of actors, and I mm -hmm. I think he's he's an awesome director. And obviously Alpha Dog shows that he has a great eye for talent because there is so many people way before they were famous that are now like really famous in Alpha Dog. So I'll say that. So we're All leaving right. Jason Reitman on the on the floor. Wow. Oh gosh, I forgot about Jason Reitman. That's who I thought you were gonna pick, Terry. Yeah, the other I one that was nominated for an Oscar for directing. <laughs> Has Rob Reiner ever been nominated? No. He's been nominated for Best Picture. Oh. Okay. The thing is wow. with Jason Reitman that he's made he's made some bad movies, though, is the problem. 
That's true. But he's made some amazing movies too. Same with Rob Reiner. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you don't really get the ebbs and flows uh, quite like Rob Reiner. The other ones I was thinking of were Max Minghella and Brandon Cronenberg. Both have one really good movie, but they really don't make movies that much. So, or they only have one. So, yeah, the one that I had was Jake Scott, uh, Ridley Scott's Mm. son, who made American Woman, which was in my top five or ten list in 2018. Um, Although I haven't really seen any of his other movies. He also did Welcome to the Rileys, which I haven't seen. That's good. See, I'd still go. I'd still go with Rob Reiner over J- Jason Reitman because, I mean, Rob Reiner's made some movies that I would truly consider some of my favorite movies of all time, and and Jason Reitman's made some great movies, but not ones that I would consider like all time favorites. Okay. All I right. St- I still like Noah Baumbach. Can I go with him? That that's the pick I'm sticking with. I'm sure his film, his his pretentious film critic father tried to make movies and failed. Uh, wasn't wasn't Lawrence Kasdan's son a director? What did he do? Jake Kasdan. Is that Jake Kasdan? Yeah, that sounds right. Walk, Jake, yeah. walk hard. Did there he do? Go. Yeah. Okay. I forgot. I I just now thought of him when when he said Jake Scott, and I was like, oh, that's not who I'm thinking of. But yes. <laughs> Hasn't Colin Hanks directed a movie? Yeah. Was it the Great Buck Howard? Did he direct that? I think so. I don't know. Maybe wrote it. No, he's done some documentaries. Not nothing. Uh, no feature films. <clears throat> I don't All know. right. Maybe I'm crazy. All right. So our so our Mount Rushmore is Sofia Coppola, Rob Reiner, Mario Van Peebles, and Nick Cassavetes. I think that's pretty much the only Mount Rushmore you could come up with. Well, maybe subtract one and put in Jason Reitman. But that's possible, yeah. Okay. So let's move on. Normally next we do um recasting, which we will talk about a little bit. But first, we we've been referencing it already and we actually have to talk about this now. Todd, what was it? 10, 11, 12 years ago, like one of the first things you wrote for the website was an article about how this is the future of Hollywood. Well, this and, and the sister of the traveling and, pants. And the sister of the traveling pants. Yeah, this was the future of like like male like actors and sister of the traveling pants was the future of actresses. And you went through and you like basically said this actor is the next this and this actor is the next this. And basically recast the movie with the past generation. Like, if this had been made in the 80s, this is who would have starred in this movie, pretty much, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, it wasn't really the past generation. It was just who came to mind at the time. But yeah, yeah. they all sort of are in that realm. They're all in kind of the same generation. So I want you to go through that first, because it's kind of a recasting in a way. And uh, and 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 now we're like 15 years removed, because it, it's... Technically, no seven movie, but it debuted at some film festivals in 06. So we're saying it's a 15 year anniversary. Um, so 15 years removed. I mean, how accurate were you? It's kind of a, kind of an interesting exercise to go through. So what it, what did you say back then? Well, Emil Hirsch is the star of the movie. I said he's the next Sean Penn, probably because of Into the Wild. But yeah. I still kind of believe that he has a lot of the same roles. 
Justin Timberlake, I said, was uh, the, our, gen- the uh, our generation's Nicolas Cage because I love him in this movie, and I I think he is. I I, I could see Nicolas Cage at a at a time being an amazing Frankie. But, By the way, you wrote this in October of 2010. 2010. So a little go. over 11 years ago. So probably in the uh, post social right. network. Well, right. When, when social feeling. network came out. That was October yeah. 2010. Uh, Sean Hattesey, who is a Todd favorite, of course. Uh, I said he is the next Steve Buscemi because Steve Buscemi is one of those actors that doesn't have the Hollywood looks, but he's always going to be a great character actor. He's never going to be the main character. Uh, ben Foster, I said, was our generation's Edward Norton. I still stand by that. This total Edward Norton kind of role. Anton Yelchin, I said, was like Johnny Depp. He really, I mean, he disappears in the, almost everything he does, or he did. Um, Olivia Wilde, I said, was like, uh, can be like Sandra Bullock. Obviously, that didn't turn out the same way. She never got true, like, box office appeal, but she still is a big star and now a director, too. Amber Heard, I said, was like Sharon Stone. They look exactly alike, and they're the same actress, basically, and they're in the same movie. And Amanda Seyfried, I said, was like Wynota Ryder, which I think is still, like, absolutely perfect. They're, I, I think they're basically in the same spot that Wynota Ryder was in, like, in the early 90s. All right. All right. Thoughts? I mean, I, I'd say I, I'm, I'm clicking through here, too, because I've, I've got it up on the website. I'd say I'd say for the most part that's fair. I, your best call is is Ben Foster as Edward Norton. That that's the best one. And I like I like your Sean Hattesey just because of your inexplicable fan love of of him. You're the biggest well, Sean Hattesey fan I know. He never really got the the movie fame, but he's isn't he in uh, Animal Kingdom, Todd? The TV Animal show. Kingdom, yeah, yeah, he's like one of the main guys. He's Pope. Yeah. So, like, could you ever see Steve Buscemi being Pope? Well, I'm out of time. Like, in the movie, Pope was, <laughs> what, that was, that was, uh, that was Ben Mendelsohn, right? I mean, oh, yeah, it's Buscemi true. and Mendelsohn are pretty much similar actors. I, I could see it. Maybe that's not a valid in the point. No, I don't know. Maybe not I'll in think. the LA surfer culture of the show, but. How, how come you didn't predict what would happen to Bruce Willis, Sharon Stone, and Harry Dean Stanton in their old age? Because they weren't the future of Hollywood. Yeah. But they had they, futures. They were, well, what we and didn't past. realize is they were the past of Hollywood, really, after, yeah, not much. I mean, maybe Bruce Willis did a couple more diehards after that, but. <laughs> All right. I like your, did you say Amanda Seyfried, uh, Winona Ryder? Yeah. That was a that's a good comparison. I think she yeah, I, that, like like the roles that she does today are kind of like Winona Ryder like in her thirties type roles. Yeah, I I know I remember I really liked your Emil Hirsch Sean Penn comparison, especially after Into the Wild. What's happened with Emil Hirsch? He's kind of just he's disappeared. Been, he's been canceled for one thing. Well, even before any of that happened, he's just. I don't remember that. He hasn't. Like since his, his in the wild, are, he's his done movies nothing. are very—they're not obscure, but they're very niche. Yeah, I, he went a, a an odd route. He was in and, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't remember him in that at yeah, all. He was oh the, yeah, yeah, he's a he was a, a seabird hairdresser. Yeah. Oh, 
the one that was that was with um with Sharon Tate. Um is it fair to say that's his only like role of note in the last five years? Freaks was supposed to be good. But yeah, that was Freaks really, was really in small. my top ten of that year. Um Lone Survivor, I forgot he was in that. Savages. He's not the main character anymore, basically. It, a yeah. lot of things. He did that um that Bonnie and Clyde miniseries for TV. Oh yeah. Milk. He was in milk. Anyways, yeah, his career's kind of taken in some odd turns. Anyways, let's get to the rest of the recasting. Zach, did you have any uh any recasting that you came up with? Oh yeah. Well yeah, are, are we gonna Okay, go we're going we're gonna go through the whole all right, let's go through the whole thing. I'm ready, man. All right. So I'm gonna uh, drag you to hell with me if we're gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start with uh with Johnny True Love, played by Emil Hirsch. Uh so Zach, why don't you go first? Who do you got? Well, to, to preface this, I did do a gimmick for this recasting, as always. Uh, I thought one of the things that did not age well about this movie is I did not think this movie had very sophisticated female characters. I mean, obviously, we're dealing with characters that are pretty freaking sexist overall. So I, I thought, let's let's recast this with Olivia Wilde as the director with more of a female uh, perspective. So... Uh, I decided Nothing like to based go... on a true story by turning all of them female. Hey, you know what? <laughs> it worked with Ghostbusters. It worked with Oceans. It, it's it, not a true story. With uh, this movie as well. Dude. So, uh, and I also, I tried to stick with the age, although uh, with Johnny, I did have to make some exceptions. I went with Dominique Fishback as Johnny. Now, listen, Dominique Fishback, we know is 30, but she can play a teenager, okay? Like she did in Project Power or whatever that drug movie was. Anyway, uh, Dominique Fishback, yes. Great, great uh, 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 Josephine, uh, true love. All right. The guy's real name was Jesse James Hollywood. I don't like that. Is just that just screams like he's got a bad future. Yeah, it really does. All right, so my my Johnny, I kind of went with a little bit of a gimmick too as I was trying to come up with it. I realized th there's just not a whole lot of notable actors this age, which is one of the one of the things that was kind of genius taught about what you wrote because all these actors when they made this were like in their early twenties no. or even still teenagers like Anton Yelchin. And they're all still and, a little too old for the roles. Like most of these in real life, these characters were like 19, like 19 16. to 21 somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so like, like Emil Hirsch was 21 when he, when he played this. And I was like, I looked at the 21 year olds, uh, like who are notable 21 year old actors and they're all like Disney kids. And I'm like, no, this, the, no. So, I came up with something that I'm going to go with here. And Todd, you said that the future of Hollywood was this in when it was made. So I am, I am uh, making a new film, the future of Hollywood, and I'm recasting it with that. Now it's nowhere near as good of a movie as a, uh, as alpha dog, but I'm saying Voyagers, which we went and saw earlier this year is the future of Hollywood. And so I'm recasting it with the cast of Voyagers. Because I think it, it kind of serves a very similar a similar role in bringing out all these, you know, early 20s kids and, and giving them a chance to shine. So my Johnny's Ty Sheridan. Yeah, he could do it. I mean, he was a good choice anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right, Todd, well, who do you have? Well, mine, mine's slightly too old, and he's cheating because he could say for every role in this age range, and that's Lucas Hedges. And he, he has the same sort of Emil Hirsch kind of thing going on like for the last like five years. So he'd be a great Johnny. Nice. I, I feel like he'd make a better Zach, but maybe he's too old for that at this well, point. Well, he's definitely too old for that. Yeah, maybe yeah. seven years ago. Yeah, Manchester by the Sea version would be good. Zach. All right. Uh, next, we have Frankie, played by Justin Timberlake. Zach, who do you got? All right, so I, I decided to go big pop star musician turned actor because this was one of Justin Timberlake's uh, first big movie roles. And there's no bigger pop star on the planet than Olivia Rodrigo. I think she could nail it. I don't really know. She was in an episode of New Girl. I thought she was pretty good in that episode because I watched it a couple months ago. And uh, I, I can imagine she, she, she was in some Disney Channel shows. I know Terry's dissing on the Disney Channel, but let's go Olivia Rodrigo. I, I'd love to see what she could do in that role. I have no idea who that is. I don't either. I'll have to look her up. All right. Well, while uh, while Todd looks her up, uh, Frankie, because oh, I got to talk. So my Frankie, uh, I, I'm going with uh, Isaac Hempstead Wright. Uh, also wait, wait, wait. Known... wait. Are, you not, are, are you being sarcastic, Todd? No, I'm not. I have no idea who that is. You really don't know who Olivia Rodrigo is? I'd have to. No, I'm not a teenage girl. Dude, she's like <laughs> she had the, the number one biggest song. She was she was with Joe Biden. Like she was she's a huge pop star. Looking her up. I thought I thought you were being sarcastic when Maybe you said one of those it. You I don't know her go, either, Terry? Oh. Wow. Jeez. Okay, right. I'm I'm plugged into the teen culture more than either of you are. So, uh, yeah, a, a driver's license, and uh, you know, she's kind of like got a sort of Taylor Swift. Vibe. Oh, she is she in high She's in High School Musical, uh, the musical, pro, the series. Pro, probably that sounds accurate. She's like she's like the Justin Timberlake of 2021. Okay. Listeners, our, our, our three listeners out there know who she is, right? Am I crazy? I don't know. You All right. need to get tapped into the teen culture. So, my Frankie, Don't I'm going TikTok. with Isaac Hempstead, right? I don't think it's a great choice, but I'm going with it. He is, uh, he was, he's the tall, lanky kid in, uh, in Voyagers. He's also the three eyed raven in, in Game of Thrones. Um, Bran, he's Bran. Now, that I, I have no idea who that is. He's the one in a wheelchair in Game of Thrones. That's all you need to know. All right. <laughs> Whatever. You you claim you've seen the show and you you disappoint me every time. Todd, who's your who's your Frankie? Well, if you're going the music turned actor, I would go with the actor from Spencer Confidential Post Malone. I would give you awesome Frankie, but I said <laughs> Dylan Minette, uh, who is uh, the main character in Thirteen Reasons Why, and I, I think that'd be a step out for him, but it'd be really, it'd be really interesting to watch. And I think he's probably too old too. Well, yeah, that's going to be kind of a theme here. Also, another thing that I noticed is looking at like notable 20, 21 year old actors. They all look like they're 12. Like none of these guys, these guys are all like 20, 21, 22 that were an alpha dog. None of them look like they're 12. Not even Anton Yelchin looks like he's 12. Well, Emil Hirsch still looks really young. He just has the tats and the hair that makes him look older. But this is probably shot like maybe a year after he was in Girl Next Door, where he does look like yeah. he was 12. Yeah. 
That's true. That's fair. All right. Elvis, played by Sean Hattesey. There's one answer for this. Zach? I went with, uh, I, I don't like my answer. I, I went with Talia Ryder because she needs to be more stuff. Not not a good pick. I don't know. This my, is going I, off the rails. I, I got I got a bad list. I, I, I hate my pick because there really wasn't someone that fit that well. But I went with Archie Madekwe, who was like the the um the tall kid with the kind of fro that followed the the uh the rebellion group and uh i don't know he was actually really bad in voyagers but (laughs) (laughs) the the character kind of fit the character so i went with it all right other than sean hattesey who's the other like toddest actor in the world who also played todd in the tv show that we all love jesse Plemons. Um, oh yeah I don't know. Isn't he a little old at this point, though? Yeah, but he was also skinny and Breaking Bad and fat in El Camino, so he can, he can adapt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I do get the sense that Sean Hattesey was probably a little older. He he looks older than the rest of them. Yeah, I think he was he was around thirty, I think, when this was shot. But I mean, you get you get the sense that he is sort of in over his head and like because he's a drug addict, basically. You know. Do you think Elvis is the stupidest one? Like, I, I mean, this no. Is, yes. Absolutely not. Christopher Marquette's really? character is definitely the stupidest one. What's, Who's that? What's his, that's the other guy from Girl Next Door. Uh, Keith, the one who. Oh. Uh, yeah, the one who's like. Goes gonna, oh. Yeah, no, I don't know. He's crude. I don't know if he's stupid though. I mean, he's smart enough to realize that this plan is going to shit. Yeah. El- Elvis, I don't think is stupid necessarily. Yes, he, he is, is he's, just. He's pretty dumb. He, I mean, they're all kind of dumb, but they're all kind of high. But he's he's in that situation where he knows that this is the only way that he will have a chance at ever having a life <laughs> to, to go through that. I mean, I don't know. I, I understand that he knows that that's, that's what he has to do. Similar to but a lot the, of characters in Breaking Bad, which is what Todd sort of is. Todd, Todd this is not movie, This movie was going to end with Elvis either shooting the kid or shooting Johnny. Like those were the only two outcomes that were going to come out of this movie. Because he was being treated like um like a a lesser person. He was being treated like an animal, basically, to them. Like he he needed Mm -hmm. to get out of there or he was gonna die himself. He's not dumb, he's just he's in a bad spot. I don't call that dumb. Anyways. All right, uh dumb to get in the spot, yeah. Yeah, it was dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jake is next, uh, and this is uh, this was Ben Foster, Jake Mazursky. Jake Mazursky is looking for him. Yeah, yeah. Zach, who do you got? I went with uh, Todd's favorite actress under thirty, Rowan Blanchard. Probably has tremendous uh, range. That's Terry's Terry's favorite. Terry. Well, okay. <laughs> unfair her career unfairly cut short but i think she's ready for a comeback and based on her instagram profile i i think this is a role that that she could do she's that like in a, a show right now isn't she i remember seeing that she's in snowpiercer the snowpiercer tv show oh really okay yeah that's a horrible pick. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm going for a gimmick, okay? Go with my gimmick. It, it, my gimmick is difficult. I, and I try to not cast uh, stars of Euphoria because that was a low hanging. <laughs> All right. Uh, my pick for, for, uh, for what, what the hell's his name again? 
Uh, Jake, I, I'd never even learned their names. I just knew them. They as, do have pretty unmemorable names. Yeah, it was the actors. Uh, I, I went with Fiona Whitehead, who is uh, the guy who plays Zach in Voyagers. He's the main bad guy. He's oh. the guy who starts the rebellion. Um, he looks this, like a 90s uh, teenager. 90s, yeah, he, lo- yeah. he looks like he's trying to be Johnny Depp from the 80s. Listen, um, can we read? Can we do a deep dive of Voyagers in 15 years? Because <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> that would be an awesome deep dive at, at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. We should probably do that at some point. That'd be fun. All right, Todd, who do you have? Uh, my Jake, I said D- uh, Dane DeHaan. I don't know. That's another actor. I don't know what happened to him, but he was one of my yeah. favorites like five years ago. Maybe he's a little too old, but I don't know. I don't know how much older he is than uh, than Zach, but he, it seems like there there's like a, quite an age difference there. I think he made that movie with the eels in the mental asylum, and that killed his career. The um, no, nope. with Mia Goth. What was it called? Um, oh shit. Yeah, I don't remember that. A cure for wellness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. That, that movie sucked. I think that killed his career. I'm looking here, what he's got some TV shows that he's been doing. Well, I think I think it, it kind of killed everyone's career when they were in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, right? Yeah, it didn't oh, help. Yeah, yeah. He he was the main character in Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Luke Basson. Yeah. Speaking of which, have you seen Tick Tick Boom yet, Terry? No. Okay. No. I was expect I, I it was like plus one eighty that you were going to review that today as your movie. Of the it week. comes out next week. On... It's playing here. I, oh I no, it's not it. playing. It's not playing in the theaters anywhere here. Okay. Yeah. It comes I did out not realize it was week. about Jonathan Larson until I saw the trailer for it. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay, Zach. Recast Zach. Played uh, by I... <laughs> played by Anton Yelchin. This was the easiest one to recast in my female-centric Olivia Wilde-directed reinterpretation. You're thinking young, you're thinking innocent, bright-eyed, juvenile. Who better than Thomas and McKenzie? That's easy. That's over. Done. Too old. Uh, well, okay. I mean, she played like a 12-year-old in Leave No Trace, and she was like 18. I, th- I think she can pull off being younger. All right, this is the one spot where I'm going to uh, to break out of my Voyagers pick because as I was watching uh, Alpha Dog and watching Anton Yelchin, all I could think of is how much Anton Yelchin, just how he is and how he carries himself in his screen presence, reminded me of Tom Holland. And yes. then I and then I I was sad that we never got to see Anton Yelchin be Spider Man. Like he should have been the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. He was, or, or he, the Andrew Garfield one, one of them. I don't care, but he should have been Spider Man at some point. There were some serious Tom Holland vibes too. I got rewatching it. I was like, yeah, that that's a great call. So he's also twenty five. True, Zach but he's still 16. passing it. He's still passing as a teenager in the Spider Man movies, and actually passing halfway decently. So, well, I went with an actual like fifteen year old, which is when they would get cast, and that is Jacob Tremblay. And that just shows oh. how young everybody looks because Jacob Tremblay still looks like a child, like a serious child. But I think he would be awesome as Zach. And they, I, I think he has a lot of those Anton Yelchin things that he can do. Not in that stupid movie he made a couple of years ago, Good Boys or whatever, but in other, his other stuff. All right. Next, uh, I've got two more on my list. Uh, next is Angela, played by Olivia Wilde. Zach. 
I didn't I didn't recast that. You didn't recast Maybe her? Maybe come back to that. I, I, I recast her because that was the easy one. It's Lily Rose Depp from Voyagers. So that that, that was pretty that was pretty low hanging fruit there. Todd? I uh, the only ones I have left are Sunny and Olivia. Okay. So then let's do Sunny, because yeah. I have a Sunny. Zach, do you have Sunny? That's the father, right? Yeah. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, obviously. See, I went with Colin Farrell. He's already built so, into well, the cast that, of that's Voyagers. A real, that's a real head scratcher there, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know Zach said we couldn't talk about him, but I said Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I could see no him one being from the, Texas. The, I could see him being the father of uh, Lucas Hedges. All right, and who's last? One? I didn't recast last one. You guys said Olivia Sharon Stone. Okay, Sharon Stone. I went with Naomi Watts. Uh, yeah, I said Elizabeth Banks because why not? Yeah, I, that, that's that's a fairly easy role to recast. She's not getting highest war. She does wear a fat suit though. The fat suit was interesting. I got a lot of theories about that scene as well. <laughs> All right. Can I just I'll tell you my theory about that fat scene because we, we we don't have forever about this. Okay, I feel like Sharon Stone is a pretty big name for this movie, as is Bruce Willis. I feel like Sharon Stone had to stipulate somewhere in the contract that she would have a scene like that. Because that scene is a fairly gratuitous scene that lasts a long time. It's a very emotional, over-the-top scene with a fat suit. Um, you know, great use of fat suit, by the way. And uh we that should have been our power rankings, best uses of fat suits in movies. Um but uh yeah that was like i feel like that was like a sort of borderline oscar bait moment in a movie that was never going to get an oscar nomination yeah it was released in january i don't who know where Nicola- i'm going with that who would nicholas cage play in this yeah, that's the that's the easiest question that's e- I, I said earlier is the easiest nicholas cage question of all time well, it, at, Although, depending on what, eight, what the, era. The Timberlake role, though, which is kind of yeah, Fra- Yeah, Frankie and Sonny. Sonny would be the character he play now, obviously. Right, the, yeah, right. The father right. of the character. And he does that kind of thing in a lot of movies he makes now. I know, because I've seen all of them. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> looking back on it, yeah. He's Jake Mazursky. But and he also, would, uh, he'd be too old. Like, when he was doing that, it was like face-off kind of cage. <laughs> and like, true, that, true. that still be is too old. able to pull that off at 20. Like, who? For, for like fast times at Ridgemont High, Nicolas Cage to pull off that kind of a role would have been impressive. Yeah, that's like, that's like, that was what Sean Penn was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Could we also start like, who would Matt Dillon play in this movie? Or what would happen <laughs> if Lars von Trier made this movie about a serial murderer and incorporated his own thoughts and philosophy on violence in it? Uh, that would have made it terrible. If there was a, like a dot, like a, <laughs> a narration going on throughout the movie. <laughs> Oh, all right. No. Hi, highest war, Todd. I mean, I think that a lot of them have high wars. I'm going. I I I will stick with Justin Timberlake because I think he is. There's something about the energy that he brings to that role that just makes you feel for him more than any other character, and he is the one that you actually know is in over his head, and he's only doing things because of his friends. But he he has a moral compass. Like I, I, and I love that Timberlake is able to display that. He's, he's a, it's a great performance, the best performance he's ever given, and I think it's the best performance in the movie. Wow, wow, 
It took it, it took me a while to come around to what he was doing, but but he does give a give a very good performance. Um, Zach, you go next. All right, so I want to talk about Ben Foster a little bit more because the guy's amazing. He's on fire in this movie, like like the scene where he's getting fired and he's got sweat dripping off his face, and then the karate moves. Okay, we got to talk about that. Where did those come from? Like that was amazing. I've never seen a scene quite like that in any other movie where just some character just wipes out those karate moves and beats the shit out of everybody. And he's like undersized. There's only one other movie that I've ever seen where a character does something similar to that. And that is Stanley Tucci in the Pelican Brief. Beats the shit out of everybody inexplicably. You know, takes out some moves. But I mean... Yeah, but the... does he does he pull off a roundhouse kick though? I believe actually he does. It, it, it he doesn't take a bottle to the it. head and, and then use that part of his head to hit the guy who did it with, with the back of his head. And I just, I love his like delivery, you know, like when he's talking about the and then and then the shitting on the rug, the shit on command. That's impressive. I don't know where you get skills like that, but, uh, you know. Oh, he was pushing hard. Well, yeah. He almost popped a blood vessel in his forehead you could tell i know i know i love the tko character who's like what what that mf or right i wipe his hands with it or his ass with his hand like that's that was a great moment too that they actually stopped and talked about it because that's you know that would have been my reaction too anyway long story short this movie is uh ben foster he, he makes this movie yeah i had ben foster written down too but if i was gonna go with someone else it'd be anton yelchin um yeah. i already said those were the two best performances yeah and the, the one the one reason I wrote down Ben Foster over Anton Yelchin is I could see other people pulling off that that role. Yeah, um, you could maybe actually, not as good. But um, what about I, Peter Peter Pan, the, the kid who played Peter Pan? He could he could have done Freddie it. Highmore. Yeah, Freddie Highmore. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? He's on, on a TV show on like CBS every week. And he played Norman Bates. And he played Norman Bates and Bates. Yeah. Mattel. And future Academy Award nominee Cody Smith McPhee. I mean, I, he could have done it. That would have been a little young. Anyways, um, yeah, Anton Yelchin is is pretty, pretty amazing. Well, you're talking for for Jake, for Cody no. Smith McPhee. No, 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 no. For for Zach. For Zach. Although you're right, Terry, that the timeline's off. But but Cody Smith McPhee is way older than that. I know. I I messed up. If it He's had like been released 25. like yeah. like a few years later. All right. Worst performance. Uh, Zach. Oh, you first. Uh, or do you want, you want it, me to come, go first? Come, come back to me. Okay. My worst performance. It's Emil Hirsch. I, I did not buy what he was selling at all. It, it just never, never worked. And maybe because he looked a little too much like this was, sandwiched in between girl next door and into the wild and he had and he looked kind of like a mix of those two characters which are both like good guys and him trying to pull off this badass it just it just didn't work he's too much of a nice guy to be that that douchey and so i it, i never i never bought it and as and that's really that that opening like 15 20 minutes what i hated about it is having to being forced to try and buy Emil Hirsch as being this like wannabe crime lord, and it just is like really no, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So 
Well, when you have, like, with the money and with the power comes the attitude. And he, he I don't know, I think he, I think he owned that. Like, he doesn't look like he should, but he does, I, I feel like. He, he yeah, feels I, like he's a kingpin, so everyone has to treat him like he is because he is in that world. I disagree I with pretty much everything you said, Terry. Like, I, I the, really? the thing is, I think it's a, a really good performance. And, and the reason is because, again, he's so stupid. And he's so freaked out about uh, the possibility of facing jail time and realizing the gravity of the situation that he shits his pants, essentially. And so that any sort of gravitas he might have had before completely dissolves. He's basically just doing his father's dirty laundry the whole movie. And I think it shows a character who is fundamentally weak and insecure. And I think he does a really good job of that. Yeah, and he's born into that, like... Mob, yeah, very... mob mentality and he he's right. trying to live up to that but that's not him but he very has tampered to... and privileged yeah he has to maintain that persona because that's what he got himself into i don't know i i think that that Mimil Hirsch does it well but i mean i could see how it could come off as disingenuous if you're comparing it to the, his character the gold next door and into the wild i heard somewhere that um that they were considering leonardo dicaprio for the lead role and I think that could have worked a lot better. That would like be—he would have been way too old. Like, it would have been way too old. But I mean, th- this is like this is like getting it would have been like 1995, to... like g- Basketball Diaries kind of Leo. See, that th- would have been perfect. I think what you're responding to, Terry, is the fact that Emil Hirsch's scenes aren't as good as Anton Yelkin and Justin Timberlake, which which I would agree with. I think his scene—he doesn't have as much to do. He's not as compelling a character. But it's not—I don't think it, a performance issue. See, I and I. I would say when Emil Hirsch is at its at his best, it's when he is forced to interact with like Ben Foster, because that he puts him in his place and and that works. When he has to try and be the guy, and it just doesn't work. I just well, it, it, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the thing like he doesn't he has to maintain his level of composure because he's the boss. But like when he's on the phone with Ben Foster, Ben Foster is having that epic rant to him that's when the first the only time in the movie you actually see emotion from Neil hirsch's character because it was like i'm screwed and you get that look on his face like okay like <laughs> he just sort of like kind of is almost teary-eyed and then he hangs up he's like and he, like that that's when it's like okay that that's that's emil hirsch doing his thing but like every other time the it's the character that is that has to maintain like a, some stoicness <laughs> Did you guys see the description of this movie on Amazon Prime? That's where I watched it. It had a really interesting plot synopsis. Can I read I don't it know to if you? I read it. Yeah, I read it. A drama based on the life of Jesse James Hollywood, a drug dealer who became one of the youngest men ever to be on the FBI's most wanted list. That that is like not the movie I just we just watched, right? <laughs> that doesn't no, describe yeah. Alpha Dog at That's all. That's like the last twenty minutes. Of the movie. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, they only mentioned the FBI thing at the very end, but like, it is not about that character whatsoever. But that sounds so, something you'd be really compelled to turn on. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I'd want to see like, you know, a whacked out guy on speed shits on somebody's carpet. I mean, that that's what I would want to watch. All right. I thought of my Zach... uh, yeah worst performance. I, I, I'm going yeah. with the legend, Harry Dean Stanton, because allegedly <laughs> this guy has connections to the mob but he comes off as basically a bad impersonation of Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine. Like, oh, you got to get it in. What are you doing on a Friday night? Like, is are we really supposed to take him seriously in his raincoat and his hat 
and uh, know, when he's washing his, his car and the first thing he does is he kisses the guy in the neck kisses him on the neck like that's like totally like he he was in the 1950s mob right <laughs> He's he's old, old, old school mob. Harry Dean Stanton was like 85 when he made this movie. Okay, it's just a <laughs> little bit ridiculous that that he would be in this role. More mad props to him. I love Harry Dean Stanton. He's the greatest. But like at a certain point, you know, I mean, we're not making the Irishman here. Like, let's actually have realistically aged actors. I, I kept thinking as I was watching him, uh, the the closest uh, like in relation to that performance was his performance in the avengers where he's just the custodian in the building that hulk just just flew through and uh and he is like i i have to tell you you have a condition i, I don't know that's just what i was that that that's era actually, harry dean stan that's a good impression of harry dean stan i don't, I don't know if <laughs> you were intending to do that but that sounded a lot like him uh, uh, unintentional intentional maybe i don't know I do like Stanley. It's a memorable moment. Role. Yeah, there we go. They should have cast Stanley in the Harry Dean Stanton role in Alpha Dog. All right, Todd, who's your worst performance? Uh, I had Chuck Pacheco as Chucky, and he's like, uh, I don't know, he's like the blonde guy who's sort of part of the crew. I, I he's like supposed to be oh. high all the time, but he's like, he's annoying. About. He's like, he's like Rory Cochran in Days of Confused, like. Uh, like all he really has he's like man i just want to go to fiesta man you know i mean i guess in that way it's sort of like uh the character of uh, the the bass player in almost famous for like I was just some too. barbecue <laughs> <laughs> and he, like he, a, he's not i've good seen though. him in something else what have i seen him in i don't even know what it is maybe can, i haven't can we talk about the parallels between zach and, and william miller in this movie like th- there was a lot of almost famous oh. in this movie. That's I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. So one one that wasn't mentioned that I also had on my worst performance list was Sharon Stone, um, and and uh, the fat suit scene. She yeah, the, it's just the fat suit scene. Other than that, she's actually pretty good in the movie. But the fat know, suit why scene is she like is... like doing so, that like look at the camera like where she's like Ugh, Ugh. so so the fat suit scene happens and I'm like wait is this like the actual mom and because it was such a it was such a convincing fat suit and then it wasn't i didn't recognize sharon stone in it i recognized bad acting and i'm like no no she's trying way too hard to act here that has to be sharon stone that's not this this isn't actual footage i mean if she had done well this could have been this could have like elevated this and she could have been going for an oscar nomination but instead it sucked. So she's, she's great. Like when she slaps Ben Foster, like that's a really good scene when she's at the dinner table. That that's really good. The fat suit though is terrible. And it's kind of like what Sarah Paulson does in uh, the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton, American horror story thing a bit or American crime story. Excuse me. All right. Amazing. Larry, big Tim, high roller, minor character of the film, Todd. Uh, I don't know. There, there's a few. I like, uh, Pick Jaimo, which is played by Vincent Carthizer, who was Pete Campbell in Mad Men. Because that, that character is exactly like Combo in Breaking Bad, where he's the guy who's just around the crew that ends up giving their car to like a someone who's going to create a serious crime with it. and Or their mother's car. I'm not really sure how that worked. I, I, I don't think it was actually his car. But like he, he's awesome. I mean, he's only in a few scenes, but 
Every time I see him, I was like, Pete Campbell with long hair doesn't look right, but I, I still want to see more of that character. Nice, nice. Zach? I went with Heather Walquist as Wanda, who is uh, Jake's girlfriend. <laughs> um, very fascinating character who I believe uh, is married to Nick Cassavetes in real life. Um, the hair, the tattoos, the, the glasses, very interesting look, a bit disheveled. She's like wacky Zacky. You know, she she thinks it's endearing how the mother loves Zach. Uh, I, I wanted more of that character. And, and she works as a waitress, uh, you know. Um, yeah, it, very, very interesting character. I want to know what she sees in Jake. So so my uh, my minor character is uh, as I was watching it, we they came across a scene and I went wait what the hell is alan thick in this movie for (laughs) (laughs) i mean talk about a 10 second throwaway part i think he has one line it's like what so he's my favorite minor character cutting room floor alan thick and lucas haas and got some big names in this movie that are in like for 30 seconds yeah yeah uh yep okay uh, let's see here. What's next here? Stickman. Oh, Stickman and Douchebag. Stickman and Douchebag. Zach, you're first. All right. For me, the Stickman was was easiest, uh, if I can find his name here. Uh, it is Chris Kincaid as Jürgen Wallenbacher, who is Justin Timberlake's dad. Because <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, here's, the, here's the thing. This movie, on the surface, it looks like it has a lot of sex, a lot of Stickman, a lot of Coxman expertise. Really, it is all a veneer, okay? It is a lie. It is a mirage. Uh, maybe it's because they're all hopped up on drugs and they're all very nervous throughout the movie, but there's very few good examples of stick men in this movie. Anton Yelkin puts them to shame, okay? And he's a rookie. So let's, you know, let's get real. So it's really the adults in this movie that have the most sex. I mean, we're talking about Dominique Swain's mom. She's a nominee as well. She, uh, she has, only has sex once a year and she's Xing during it, but she's definitely getting it on. Justin Timberlake's dad, though, I mean, you know, he's he's got the two, the two women there. You know, he's having a great time and he is hung over the next day. Uh, but uh, if he can do that on a regular basis, I mean, more power to him. You know, he's got a great bachelor pad there and he's got some weed set up in plain sight. Uh, he's, he's got it going on. Uh, all right. What about your douchebag? Oh, douchebag. Uh uh, uh, can you come back to me for that? One. Okay. Well, I'll go next on Stickman because my Stickman is one you mentioned. That's Anton Yelchin. I mean, yeah, he's a rookie, but man, he, he, he holds he, his talk own. About, he's the he, Matt he, Jones of this movie. <laughs> he can throw a deep ball. The 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 rookie that comes out of nowhere. Man yeah. coverage, double coverage, can can zip it right in there. <laughs> I don't even have to say anymore. You just. Did it all for me. So you can't give the Stickman Award to a rookie, though. I think it's it's like how rookies can't a rookie quarterback can't win a Super Bowl. You can't give the Stickman to a rookie. Oh, you totally can. You totally can. He macked those I girls I we, need to, we need to consult the Burgess Meredith on this. No, but this know. is like Ichiro in two thousand one. Like he he won the MVP <laughs> and Rookie of the Year because he, he won the World had Series, two at, two at the same time. Come on. <laughs> well, they won one hundred and sixteen games though. Yeah. Came up just short. 
He's like Dak Prescott or Ezekiel Elliott, you know, and, and that year they were good. I, I, there are many rookies, but they, they can't they can't win it all. Todd? Uh, so I was going to go with someone else, but I just realized I don't even know who he is in this movie, but Rick Solomon plays salesman in this movie. And he is the uh, obviously the famous semi-pro poker player, but he is also <laughs> the star of One Night in Paris, the uh, – Sex oh, tape wow. with uh, Paris Hilton. I didn't know he was in this movie. That obviously boosts him to number one stick. That's whatever he appears point. in. That's a great point. <laughs> He's Two a high stakes poker Todd. player. And I think he might be a World Series poker bracelet winner. He is an awesome poker player. And he and is he, a great stick man. And he's bringing poker and Paris Hilton into the argument. That's just winning right there. <laughs> That's an awesome pick. What salesman? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I'll have to go watch again because I don't remember him. <laughs> I, I know what he looks like. What did they go buy in this movie? Shoes? No. The car. When he did when he exchanges car? the car. Oh. oh. At the end of the movie. I bet that's it. He gets that Lincoln. Is there even a salesman in that scene? That is yeah. He said he says I want to turn in that and take that. And he said, "Okay, let's go figure it out." That is beautiful. I okay. That, I mean, I think yeah, that ha- that has to be it. That's the only salesman there is. Okay. Okay. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> All right, douchebag Zach. Uh, douchebag of the movie. Um, I guess we'd have to go with Bruce Willis. I'm just going to go for the low hanging fruit here. I mean, Bruce Willis says this movie's all about parenting. And he's the worst parent pretty much on the planet in this movie. And uh, he's really the reason that... He's not that bad. He tells him, come clean, you're a moron. And he doesn't do it. Yeah. He, he probably would have killed him himself. He's not that bad. Of a okay. Now you're making you're making some good points here. Okay, how about, how about the 38 spectators? They're all douchebags. They should have said something. I don't know. I, I, I it's the, the, I the problem is every character in this movie is a douchebag. So how how can you this really is why pick I, one? This is it. This is what makes it a Todd movie. Every character <laughs> is not a good person. This is what we That's do with what, Boiler Room, except for this except for do. Susan. Susan has the Dominique Swain character. She has some redeeming qualities because she's the only one that calls them out and says, "What are you doing? This kid should go back home." But she never calls the police. That is true. Well, okay, that's a conspiracy theory, though. I feel like when she brings that newspaper to Timberlake's house the next day, I feel like she's giving him kind of the wink-wink, like, I called the police. I they're all they're I, all in the yeah. same social circle. She wouldn't give up, like, every person that she knows for that, but she wants everyone to come with her. Like, I don't know. That's still I'm, kind of a douchey thing to do. I'm going to stick, stick with Willis as, as the, as the douche biggest douche, okay. because he doesn't even, he, he says, you know, he doesn't know anything about the whereabouts of his son. Uh, he, he, that, that's, he's a douche. All right. My douche is Emil Hirsch. I mean, he, he's the one. And that, that's the one thing that, that comes out at the end of this. Uh, I mean, cause one of the things that makes him a douche is the fact that he thinks he is a douche when he doesn't realize how undouchey he actually is, and that makes him more of a douche, if that makes sense. So the one thing that I found interesting in the fat suit scene is when she says that um, that Jake actually owed someone like $50,000, yet Zach died over 1200 and, and And it's like, you don't realize how small time you are. 
and that and and so he's being a douche because he thinks he's big time but he actually is really small time which makes him more of a douche but he had all the followers so he still was in his world a big a big time but yeah he's a douche either way yeah yeah Todd. i mean i'll go with jake because obviously i mean he shit on his carpet man like (laughs) (laughs) who does that man uh, really messed up the uh, the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, tied the whole room together. Yeah, you all know right. what also makes Jake a douche though is that like he's just sitting there when everybody's at the house, and it's like all he's got to do is call up Johnny. Like there's nothing that's preventing him from from having Zach come back. He's just sitting there doing nothing, just sitting yeah, idly. Just just page him. It's like the least active scene that Ben <laughs> Ben Foster has in the whole movie. Like this is the one moment you're gonna sit still and not freak out the moment that you should be freaking out everybody has way too much pride basically all right best scene todd um i love when frankie and zach are sort of getting close like because those scenes are awesome when when they go out to fiesta and then he's like you know you could just go hop on a bus and tell your parents you were out with some girl like what what would you say to that and then like it's followed up with like him showing around his the his dad's weed garden and stuff about how you know like you know like he smokes like a chimney he's he drinks like a fish but damn it if we don't eat right (laughs) you know but i mean and like that that all like that is that that shows off everything that makes Timberlake great in this movie but it's also just like a really genuine connection that is why this movie is so heartbreaking because Frankie and Zach were actually really close and they trusted each other and, that, and like that was the start of it like that like two scene sequence is my favorite yeah i was thinking something similar those were good but the one that i went with that displays the same thing is uh when Zach reveals he has a black belt in Taekwondo and and fights Frankie. Like that that's when Frankie really goes, dude, this kid is awesome. <laughs> and so it, it's it's just the extension of the scenes that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Zach. Yeah, so 15 years later, I only remembered two scenes from this movie. One was the swimming pool scene. Of course. But the other scene I remembered was Ben Foster shitting on a rug. That has to win. Easily the best scene in the movie. You quoted like for your best scene, your your quote of the year in 2018. You said it was the, the Jake Mazursky on the phone. I did. Yeah, what was, that was, what was the quote? I mean, there aren't enough expletives on this episode, but <laughs> rewind that. Roll the tapes. Uh. All right. I know you remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm looking at his quotes right now. I don't really see any memorable quotes. I'm very intrigued. Do you know the quote, Todd? No, I mean, it's a whole thing where he's just <laughs> oh. flipping out on the phone to to Johnny telling him how, you know, you gotta pray that the cops find you before I do. You know, <laughs> that, that whole thing. I know you know what I'm talking about. I can't I, I, do the whole thing. I, I, I yeah I I don't I know you don't believe me just like I don't believe that you don't know who Olivia Rodrigo is but we're just gonna have to move on. If there were a sequel, it would be called Bully. That's a spinoff or something. I remake. I, I was I I it was it really a remake? No, I mean it was a different story, but they were very similar. Very similar. 
I, I wrote down if there were a sequel, it'd be a TV show called Prison Break. Oh. Yeah, or if there was a movie that was recast with women like my cast, it would be called Euphoria. <laughs> I kind of want to see a sequel. It'd be more of like in the middle, but I want to know what, what Johnny was doing between when the killing happened and when he was caught in like Argentina. I want to I see like how he, like it almost seems Frank William Abagnale-ish, like how he actually was or, now like this. Or really... Michael Schofield. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah that, that makes sense. A sequel to this movie would also be what actually happens at Fiesta once they get there. They were there. But all they but, do is talk about going to Fiesta. We weren't no, there. They, 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 get to, <laughs> they get to Fiesta. Rewind that. Well, they, they only show Frankie and, and Zach there. But the other guys, I'm sure that they had a good time. That would be like Spring Breakers. <sighs> Yeah, there was some definite Spring Breakers vibe with Fiesta <laughs> because of how many freaking times that was brought up in the first 30 minutes. Like that was that was like five different times they were talking about going to Fiesta. Can I just go on a slight yeah. tangent here since I just quoted Vantage Point's trailer? Um, the the trailer for the 355 is starting to rival Vantage Point's trailer in my brain because yeah. every time, every time doesn't change the fact that I kind of want to see it, but still, well, it's, it's every the, time. It's the real-life Fox Force 5. I've only seen yes. that like a couple of times, I think. Really? Every movie. Every movie. They, they haven't played it, the Jackass trailer as much lately. It was before Belfast. Belfast had a 355 trailer. Anyways. All right. Young Buddy would like the 355. Flaws, outdated, conspiracy theories. What do we got? Okay, uh, I can I can go. I got yep, a few, go and these aren't so much conspiracy theories, just random thoughts. Okay, uh, Circus Liquor was also the place where Sher Horowitz was stood up and sexually uh, assaulted by Elton in Clueless, and Circus Liquor is also where I believe Neil Hirsch goes to at the beginning of the movie. Um, I have a lot of theories about uh, Justin Timberlake's tattoos um, in this, and uh, they look like sperm. And then I wrote down Chuck. I don't know who Chuck is, but he apparently has a tattoo that says "boo boo." But like that was, that was my worst performance, Chucky, okay. the, the blonde dude. Yeah. Okay, I was intrigued by his uh, by his tattoos. I said that uh, Keith would be played by McLovin. I don't remember who Keith is, but that's the guy from Girl Next Door. The guy from Girl Next Door, yeah. Okay. The director. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And yes, he totally. This is like, yeah. McLovin, for sure. Okay, uh, okay. This was actually a good point. Um, okay, the lavalier mics in the in the interview scenes, so they are very prominently shown. And what's interesting is that during the last scene when they're interviewing Bruce Willis, Harry Dean Stanton comes in. He's not wearing a lavalier mic, but sounds exactly as loud as Bruce Willis. <laughs> I love it. Definitely some some questions. He's wearing a lapel mic, but you can obviously tell the room is boomed. That's awesome. <laughs> well done, Zach. Well and done. then uh, last point was Justin Timberlake has no, I have to credit Sammy, my wife with this. Justin Timberlake has no armpit hair. What Now what's the story there? Is that Justin Timberlake or is that the character? It's like the anti-Margaret Qualley. Like the, the no armpit hair might be a real method thing, but it could just be Timberlake. I, I don't know. I want to know more about it. Even the tattoos were fresh. Yeah. 
I think I, it, I think I read somewhere that there's on, only one of the tattoos on Timberlake was actually real. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Todd, do you have anything? Uh, I don't think anything really is flawed or outdated. I think it makes me long for a time when you could tell a true story the way it happened and take risks and not have to worry about like the garbage like watered down shit that we get now when you have these kind of movies i think this is awesome and it maybe if it ages badly it, it makes me like think about how great movies could have been <laughs> but they aren't anymore so that's what i have to say nice nice all right i have a couple things one one i already mentioned anton yelchin should have been spider-man at some point um but then the other thing that i thought of while i was watching this movie is this the the plot of this movie should have been a plot line in Breaking Bad where somebody kidnapped Jesse's little brother. Ooh, like that should have happened, point. and they oh. would have done it. Yeah, and they would have done it. Todd, pen, yeah, is Elvis. Todd yeah, should have kidnapped his little brother. And, there were and, some real and dynamics. You know, Vin, dynamics. You, you know, they would have done it on Breaking Bad better than Alpha Dog did. Like that would have played up better. It would it would happen. Well, because yeah, I mean, Vince Gilligan's a better writer than Nick Cassavetes is a writer. So yes, the year. It also made me think that Aaron Paul could have been um, could have been Jake. Could have been Jake. Yeah, yeah. Or possibly. Okay. I also think he's a or little Jesse I mean, Pinkman. Ca- Jesse Pinkman could have turned into Jake. Let's put it that or way. Or Captain Cook could have turned into uh, Johnny True Love. Well, that that could be too, or was already. I don't know. <laughs> All right, LVP MVP, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll take this home. Um, I'll go first. My LVP is Elvis, because he just he's yeah he's the one that messes it all up. MVP is uh, Harry Dean Stanton because you know he's the man. That's all I got. <laughs> no, David Carradine's the man, but okay. Yeah, well, no, no. Rufus is the man. Oh, okay. Get your or Mike Gundy. He also he right. also says I'm the man. Or okay? or, or Mike Gundy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> are you, are I mean, Harry Dean man? Stanton. Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton is literally twice the man Mike Gundy <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> Maybe three times. We don't know. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, Todd. Uh, my LVP is uh, probably the justice system because Frankie, the fact that he gets a life in prison is just ridiculous. Like, I, I'm never like th- that. That is always like like been the most long-standing thing with this movie. Is like that guy doing that, basically being friends with the kid, got a life sentence. That that's terrible. But my MVP is Dominic Watkins, who's the production designer, because I think this movie has some amazing sets that are very specific but also really lifelike i don't know that the, I, I i think the movie has like a really interesting look and it doesn't look like any other movie in hollywood that i've ever seen all right all right zach all right my lvp of this movie is the lawyer i don't know what his name is in the credits kind of similar to todd actually because if emil hirsch Emil Hirsch gets freaked out after he talks to the lawyer when the lawyer says, uh, no, that's a federal crime. You're going to jail. I feel like if that lawyer hadn't been so like upfront about that, he wouldn't have freaked out Emil Hirsch as much. Thus, 
there wouldn't have been as much a directive to kill Anton Yelkin. So really, I think that the lawyer is sort of the one of the biggest reasons why Anton Yelkin dies in this movie, if, if, we're, if we're being serious. So he should have said, like, yeah, we, we can't talk about this over the phone or something like that? Is that what he should have said? I don't know. Like, I, I mean... I, I, the, it's not the lawyer's fault necessarily, but I feel like that scene is a really important scene because it hammers home Emil Hirsch's insecurity and the reason why Zach is killed. But like without that scene, I don't think there's as much urgency to kill him. So the lawyer is really, I think, I think to blame. Well, but at the same time, I don't think Frankie would have ever gone through with it if he hadn't heard that it was going to be life. That's well. That's what I mean. It's it, we're saying the same thing. It's it's the but the lawyer is the source of where that was coming from. I don't know. I just feel like the lawyer, the lawyer was the reason behind okay. uh, Zach's unnecessary death. My MVP of this movie was uh, rap music, specifically Tech Nine, uh, great Kansas City Royals Chiefs uh, fan. Tech Nine is it, this was the movie that sort of launched his uh, career a bit. He became much uh, more mainstream, less underground after this movie. I applaud this movie for only having one Eminem song, which I think is shockingly low. I think the over under on that would have been like four and a half going in. And I also got to say, I love the song Guns and Bitches by Gangsta's In Da Hood at the, be at the beginning of the movie. I disagree with Elvis. I think we need more rap, more, more rap videos. You know how I know this was from the mid 2000s? Because there was a band called Gangsters In Da Hood. Yeah, I wrote down <laughs> that it was by Bondo Records, directed by Samuel Beyer. And I was prepared for that as a trivia question, Terry. I'm disappointed. Uh... I had to pause that shit and look up the name of the song. Instead, I instead I asked you for the line that referenced it later on that you didn't remember. Yeah. All right. Quote of the day time. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Zach, go first. All right. I'm quoting Justin Timberlake in, in the movie Alpha Dog. My favorite line of his in the movie, although apparently there's a better Ben Foster line out there somewhere, is uh, when Justin Timberlake says, let's get the hell out of Dodge, go to Fiesta and f***ing bitches. Yep. <laughs> I mean that that's yeah. That's most of his lines, I think. Yeah, I feel that's like. pretty much every line that he has in this yeah, movie. Yeah. All right. Uh for for my quote of the day, I'm quoting Belfast because I just think there there were some really great gems in there. The one I really wanted I couldn't find the quote for, but this is another good one. It says, uh, the Irish were born for leaving, otherwise the rest of the world would have no pubs. Nice. <laughs> Sounds like a sitcom line. <laughs> It's it's the charm of the movie, and Zach can't be charmed. I like my I, line better. Yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, I'm quoting the late great Anton Yelchin, but it's just a a quote that he actually gave in real life. He said, "I prefer when movies target my heart instead of my mind," and I feel like that describes Alpha Dog and basically every other movie that he was in. And that's the way I feel about Alpha Dog. Yeah, I, th I think we should all just say that Anton Yelchin was the MVP of this movie because he was a, a great actor who was taken from us way too young in some odd parallels to this movie. It's hard watching this movie now 15 years later and not thinking about his death in real life. And I don't know, I, he would he was on his way to having a great career. It's 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 really a, a tragedy. Did anybody else notice the the random moment that that? Uh, there was a random moment that gave me a lot of anxiety in this movie. And it was when all the girls leave right before uh, he gets taken out and, uh, and shot. Did, there, there's this moment where they all leave and they all leave in a Range Rover 
and he's standing in front of a Range Rover. I don't know. That just gave me anxiety because he was killed by his own Range Rover. Oh, I didn't make that connection. And it yeah. was on like a hill too, wasn't it? Yeah, like something like, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it, it just, yeah, I was like, wow. ah, ah, it just, it was a bad. It's like watching Monsters Ball now. It's, it's just, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, did you see that uh, Halle Berry's son in Monsters Ball died yesterday, Todd? No. I'll have to send you a link to that. Yeah. Was, he never did was... another movie, but he, he died yesterday. Very oh, sad. Wow. Shout out to whoever he was. All right. Well, let's, uh, with that, we're drawing this podcast to a close on a real positive note for yeah. sure. Hey, Austin Powers is an awesome movie. Everybody should check it out. Yes. Yes. The last that movie was... Zach ever saw. A great, great last, great way to go out with Austin yes. Powers. Yes, because because let's let's applaud when Alpha Dog uses movie references in the movie, but whenever Belfast uses them, that just makes it corny. And You're telling me you'd rather watch the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance over Alpha Do- or uh, over uh, uh, Austin Powers? I I'm throwing a red flag on that. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back at you next time with more. Uh, more podcasts, more content, more all that fun stuff. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.